Hello, it is July 2nd, 2nd, America's birthday this weekend, hope you're ready for that, hope you're going to enjoy yourself, and I think you're going to have a great day today listening to the show, got a powerful conversation with Chris Heron, powerful, powerful conversation, dude played in the NBA, was a stud, while battling through an addiction to drugs that was wild to hear about, to be honest. It's one of the coolest conversations I've ever had in my life. I might, now, one of the coolest, because I, I don't want to get into the ranking game, one of the coolest conversations I've ever had in my life you're going to hear today. Also, Daniel Cormier, awesome. Ricky Fowler, awesome. Hey, if you like this show today, I'd like for you to tell a friend. If you didn't like the show today, just act like it never fucking happened. And also, shout out to Roman. Obviously, everybody knows Roman is the men's health brand that's trying to help you be the best you. Whether it's hair products, skin products, you name it, they have it to make you the ultimate you. The thing that we are currently tell, uh, selling you and informing you about is quarantine sex is a real thing, okay? Get a little bit boring. Why don't you have some long sex? Why don't you have the best sex you've ever had in your life? Why don't you have sex after rubbing some Roman swipes on your shaft? Yes, Roman swipes are these geniusly crafted swipes that you rub on your baby maker moments before fornication. And it'll make you have longer, better sex. And it won't transfer to your partner, so nobody will even know that you were taking a performance-enhancing swipe. It arrives in your door, at your door, in discreet packaging. It's small enough to go in your pocket. Nobody will know you have it. And nobody knows that you have a secret weapon, a tag team partner in your pocket that's going to make you have longer, better sex. And right now, go to GetRoman.com forward slash Pat. Get free two-day shipping right now. It's a good deal. It'll make you better in a sack. GetRoman.com forward slash Pat. Okay, let's get to it. Joining us now is a man who had a 30 for 30 documentary about him called Unguarded, a man who played for the Denver Nuggets, the Boston Celtics, Boston College, Fresno State, and Gurphy, which is in Fall River, Massachusetts. A legendary human that I think we will all learn from and be excited about our newfound friendship. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Herod. How's it going, man? All good. I just checked out chrisheron.com this morning, and we watched Unguarded yesterday again. I want to let you know what a what a ride your life has yeah. been, man. What an incredible ride. Do you ever sit back when, like, in the morning you look at the mirror and just go, holy hell, I can't believe I'm here? Every day. You know, every day. I, uh, You know, when you wake up and you take a chance at dying for eight years straight, um, you know, it's a miracle I'm here. You know, I, I, I was close to death multiple times. Um, but, but, but every day for about eight years, I took a chance at dying. Um, so to, to be where I'm at today, sitting, coming up on 12 years sober is, uh, is just phenomenal. Congratulations yeah. on that, Chris. Woo. Easy. I have, um, I stopped drinking because I used to party rather hard. Still smoke a lot of marijuana, but I, I stopped drinking completely. And I understand how hard that is. Let's get into your story a little bit. So yeah. Fall River, Massachusetts, where you're from, that is like an hour outside of Boston. Is that accurate? Yeah, 
25 from Providence, hour from Boston. Seems like a real working class community, tight community, hard-nosed, blue-collar community. Is that accurate? Very much so. Okay, in basketball, high school basketball was the thing in the town. And I think watching that documentary, I actually asked, we have a kid from Massachusetts here, a massive fan of yours. I believe he had a hair in Jersey back in the day. Um, but I asked him, I was like, is high school basketball a big deal in Massachusetts? I had no idea. And then when we watched the On Guard documentary, you guys had, it seemed like five, 6,000 people in the gym. Was that because you were there? Or is that because what Massachusetts high school basketball is? No, I think it was more Fall River, Massachusetts, right? I, I think, you know, we had anywhere between thirty-five to 5,000 people um, on Friday nights. Uh, strong tradition of winning. My brother, um, you know, I, I followed his footsteps and, and he was 49-1 and one, um, cool. in two years. So won two state championships. Uh, you know, high school basketball back then locally was a lot different. Now it's dominated by prep schools. You know, the best of the best played for their local high school. Um, you know, now the best players go away to, to prep school. So there was a lot of talent in the gym. Um, and with that, mixed with the strong tradition, we had, you know, sellout crowds. Now, your loyalty to Fall River will be something we'll talk about here in a little bit once we get down the line of your story here. But you end up going to Boston College. And as a local guy going to Boston College, I bet that was massive amongst everybody in Fall River. I bet that was huge for the Boston College people. For you, that had to be almost dream come true. Or was NBA always dream? No, NBA was never a dream. Um, the dream was to play Durfee basketball. And then I realized I was a little better uh, than most and that, you know, I could continue. And, you know, it really wasn't until like my junior, late in my junior year of high school where I kind of stepped on the scene and, and you know, started rec they started recognizing me as one of the top basketball players in the country. Um, but to go to BC, uh, you know, close to home, you know, I'm a four of a kid, but Massachusetts through and through and uh, just didn't last long. Yeah, let's talk about that. So you tell the story in the Unguarded documentary that whenever you're there, you're offered cocaine uh, by two yeah. ladies, which is cocaine, which is a college move, by the way. You were describing basically what college is in a nutshell, and you made sure to put out the point that like at first you said no to it, and then they were kind of persistent. You went back to it. And do you think that one decision – to try cocaine that one night. Now, granted, it could have happened again another night. You could never do that. But do you think that was the night where it really all changed for Chris Aaron, do you think? I think I'm wired to seek relief. Oh. And cocaine allowed me um, to talk about the things I needed relief from. Um. I fell in love with the honesty, the long nights, the conversations, the depth. Um, and, you know, as crazy as that sounds, you know, and to the average person, they'd be like, what, what, what is that? You know, but yeah. to people who've been down that road, they know what I'm talking about. Yeah, those late-night conversations are the realest conversations that ever happen. Now, granted, they might be in a different state of mind, but they are happening, which don't normally happen. In high school, did you try any drugs or alcohol, or were you pretty straight shooter in high school? No, no, I, there was nothing straight about me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been crooked since the get-go, brother. Uh, 
I uh, no drank a lot, smoked a lot, hallucinogenics, mushrooms, acid, you name it. I did it. Uh, Painkillers occasionally, but cocaine is what really wrapped me up at 18. Um, and you know, I'm just one of those guys that you know, once I get going, it's tough to, there's no more breaks. And, uh, I, I learned that pretty quickly. Um, you know, I'd be in a dorm room partying with a bunch of people. And the next thing you know, there's only two left and then I'm the only one. Um, so my, my Boston college career was ended quickly. Um, I failed multiple drug tests and cocaine back then. I mean, it was off the heels of Lenny bias. Right. So it was kind of like for athletes, it was kind of like this taboo, especially basketball. Um, and BC didn't know how to deal with it. Uh, and they kind of took the hardline approach and, and they suspended me for a year. And then I said, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm transferring. Okay. So when you transferred to Fresno State, you didn't have to sit out of here. The suspension was by Boston College, not the NCAA, because I was kind of confused in that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was by Boston College. Um, but, but I did sit out a year because of the transfer. Got it. So, so I went out to Fresno thinking, okay, like I'm, I'm 3,000 miles away from home. I, I can put this behind me. Um, you know, and, and like any, any person suffering from this, you know, we, we know where the kind of, where the water level is. And I'm at a barber shop and people, it's getting ready to close and the beers are coming out. And the next thing you know, I'm noticing guys going to the bathroom. And I jumped back into it. Um, and I ran with cocaine for, for, for about three years at Fresno pretty hard. Okay, so even though you ran with cocaine at Fresno pretty hard and you partied, and some of your friends, by the way, from Fall River moved out to Fresno, which a lot of people said was potentially a problem because you were bringing people back in your life that were problematic maybe at that time of life, not forever. But you still end up getting drafted, I think pick 32 or 33, uh, yep. 33 to the Denver Nuggets in that had to be something where you're like, was there ever a thought that was like, hey, man, I've been up late nights doing with these people, still putting 30 on like UMass, and I'm still part. Was there ever a thought where you were like, you know what, I should probably just go ahead and get straight whenever I go clean here in the NBA, and who knows what I could do? Or was it your mindset like, hey, look what I, I already got drafted 33, and for the last three years I've been on cocaine. I could do whatever I would. you feel like invincible almost? Neither. Neither. I, don't, I believe I was neither. I believe I was, I was wired to seek relief. And with being untreated, I was not going to, that was the mindset. It was, there wasn't a mindset of like, oh, I can drop 30 on you high. I was guilt ridden walking into arenas after partying all night. You know, I was full of shame and guilt and remorse. Um, and then there was not this mentality that, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to get sober and I'm going to let this thing run. Um, because I knew deep down in my soul that, that it was bigger than that. And if I was ever to gonna, if I was ever going to live, uh, that lifestyle where I could be a hundred percent focused on, on the game, I was going to have to step away from the game for a while. Did anybody know like at Denver or at Fresno State, aside from your friends, because Heather, your wife, who's been, you've been together since seventh grade, which is a miracle, by the way, especially as a D1 athlete who moved across the country, made the NBA. <laughs> then you, that is an absolute, congratulations on that, but she, yeah, she yeah, seems yeah. We've like. Been married, we've been married twice. 
I mean, basically, you know what I mean? It, it's, <laughs> there was pre-sobriety, post-sobriety. Um, so two different lives, two different, two different marriages, basically. But uh, she said she didn't even know. She said that, in, was that a lot for your teammates and stuff too? Because I feel like my teammates knew if I showed up and I was ridiculously hungover or if they'd been out with me or anything like that, did you, did your teammates ever know? Cause that seems like an, an interesting locker room conversation. No, I mean, football's different, you know, football's a totally different animal. And I've learned that over the last 10 years, you know, speaking at Alabama and Florida state in that culture, you know, football's full-time basketball is part-time. You know, I mean, it's like you walk in, you practice for an hour and 40 minutes and you go home. Mm. Um, so I think I think the the integrity of a football locker room is much stronger. The connection is much stronger than it is in the sport like basketball. Um, you know, and do I think some of my teammates had an idea? Probably, um, you know, after only being with them for six months, I don't think any of them really wanted to go down that road. Um, and again, you know, on an NBA roster, I'm the 12th player, right? So I'm kind of insignificant in a lot of ways. So, you know, I just kind of flew under the radar and did my thing. Now in the NBA, the Denver Nuggets was the best year of my life. I had McDice and George McLeod and Roy Rogers and Popeye Jones and Chauncey Billups, Ooh. Bryant Stith, like men of integrity, um, who really looked out for me. Um, but I, but I, you know, I remember being in Miami going to the Rolex, you know, <laughs> before the Rolex was the Rolex, right? It was, it was a beat up Rolex. Um, and you know, that night took on a life of its own. And when I got back to the hotel, uh, in the Grove, one of my teammates was waiting in the lobby for me and he just shook his head and he's like, you know, we got to talk. Um, and that was George McLeod. So. A couple of them knew, um, but none really broached the topic with me. Nobody really wanted to kind of dive in and intervene. When you got traded from Denver back to Boston, was that the worst thing that could have ever happened to Chris Aaron's life? It just sped up the process. So you think you, know, you still would have been doing everything I, that you were doing? It was just at a different level because you were back home. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. It just fast-tracked it, right? I mean, I, you know when I got back there and I was already dabbling with Oxycontin, you know, and Oxycontin at that time in 1999, 2000, all you kind of heard about it was hillbilly heroin, right? Yeah. It was like in West Virginia and Kentucky, Whoa. uh, it made its way up to Maine and, and I found it in Massachusetts and people weren't taking it. Um, it wasn't common. Uh, but you know, when I jumped up to about 1600 milligrams a day, you know, uh, that's tough to manage. What is, what is, what is a standard dose of Oxycontin? I don't think I've ever, they, by the way, Oxycontin, and it might've been you a part of that whole thing. The Oxycontin branding at, was, it turned into very similar to the way heroin's talked about like, Hey, do not mess with Oxycontin. If you can stay away from Oxycontin, stay away from Oxycontin. Whenever you got hooked on Oxycontin, did you, you, I think in the documentary, you said that you and your friends had no idea that it was going to get you the way it did, right? Well, I mean, the reality is we were buying it off terminally ill people, right? I mean, oh. that's who, that's who it was being prescribed to back in 1999. I wasn't buying it from them. The, the people who were selling it were getting it from people 
with stage four cancer, uh, uh, HIV, um, people who were in a lot of pain were, were, that's who they were getting it from. So there was a part of me that knew, you know, I mean, I'm taking something that's prescribed to people who are, who are dying in a sense. Um, but it wasn't like, I mean, it, it, it was an immediate marriage. It was an immediate, like, handcuff, um, you know, to go from 40 milligrams to 1600 milligrams a day. Uh, I would assume, you know, I had rotator cuff surgery when I was playing for the Celtics, pretty painful surgery. And the guy prescribed me, I think it was 20 milligram Oxycontin twice a day, you know, so I'm taking 1,600 milligrams to walk around and play hoop. Jeez. Jeez. And then yeah. th there's a legendary story, which, by the way, not legendary in a good way, but you in your full Boston Celtics jumpsuit outside yeah. the arena while fans are walking in, waiting for your Oxycontin dealer. To, did, was there, did anybody ever, like, was there ever... I mean, I feel like was, in 2020, if that was to happen, it would be obviously impossible because cameras everywhere. But did you ever have everywhere? Yeah. The, the way it was set up, the TD Garden, you know, it was a, it was a secured lot in front of it. There was one guy sitting in it who kind of passed us through. I told him, I said to him, like, I have a buddy. I, he needs a spot. Um, so I managed that, you know, but the reality is, you know, I'm standing outside like 10 minutes before the game. And <sighs> I had no choice. Because there's no way physically I could have played in that game unless I had it in my system. So what do you, do you, and now at this point, about to be 12 years sober, which is absolutely amazing, especially with the demons that you've been battling, you battled for so long back then. There was never a thought of like, if I was sober, I'd be better than that guy. I'd be better than that guy. I'd be better than that guy. You never thought that because in your head, you're like, I need this actually to be good. I was too sick to think that way. You know, like my, you know, my, the way I thought was, how am I going to manage tomorrow? How am I going to cash this check? How am I going to move this money? How am I going to dis? Uh, how am I going to ship oxycontins all over the country? So when I'm on an eight eight day road trip, it's going to be in every hotel lobby waiting for me. Jeez. And then whenever you leave the Celtics because you get injured, you end up going overseas. You go to China, I believe. You go to Italy. And that was where you found actual heroin. It was like, mm. that is just, the fact that you were able to play at this such high level while being on all these incredibly harsh drugs. For me, and this is going to sound bad, but you might be one of the greatest athletes to ever exist. <laughs> like literally ever exist because 1,600 milligrams of Oxycontin just to go play hoops. I mean, that is, and then you go to Italy and you get into actual heroin, you said, and then you, you, I think China as well. I mean, Chris, that is absolutely, as somebody who partied rather hard, like mm. I, I would show up at practice hungover and I would almost do better those days because I didn't want anybody to come after me for being an alcoholic or hungover, right? You'd like, yeah, sure. you'd focus. Turn it up. Yeah, exactly. You'd have to dial it. Like, listen, if I mess up today, everybody's going to call me an alcoholic. Everybody's going to call me a problem. But if I do good, they can't say anything. It, right. it, it's like for you, what you were able to accomplish is just next level. Now that you're 12 years sober and you're speaking, uh, chrisheron.com for everything, Heron Talks, Heron Project, Heron Wellness. I mean, you, what you are giving back to the community is next level. But when you speak and you have those moments, do you ever think like, I wonder what I could have done if I wasn't on all those drugs? Honestly, I used to, I, like, it really, that dominated my life when I was getting high. 
once I got sober, it was a sense of relief. And all of that past just went away, right? And it just, the hustle had to be turned into something different. Like, recovery is no different. You know, like, for me to stay sober for 12 years, I got to get my shots up. You know, I got to I got to keep my cardio going. I got to stay in shape. It's just applied in a different mindset. Um, so the sense of relief and the accomplishment, like to, to be coming up on 12 years sober in August is way greater for me Got than it. any basketball game I ever played in. What any, was, I mean, what was rock bottom? What led you to being sober finally after all those years? It had to be something. I mean, it, right. So, you know, it's, uh, I mean, a guy looked me in the eye and told me I should play dead for my kids. Um, you know, he was like, you know, you should you should play dead. You should pretend that you OD'd, let your wife say you died in a car crash, however you want to play it. But it's time to let the people who love you live. And, and uh, I was 32 years old. I was in treatment when he told me this. And, you know, I contemplated doing that. I contemplated... You know, I didn't know if I had any fight or come back in me. Um, and there were nights that I laid in bed and I, I thought about ending my life. I thought about letting my kids go. You know, my son, Chris, was nine. My daughter, Samantha, was seven. My wife was eight months pregnant when I overdosed the last time. Um, and I, I, I was just, I was always in the way, man. You know, I was always, I was always a hindrance to their happiness and whether it was birthday parties or christmas i just i was present um but i was always i was always taken i was always taking from it um chris so you're an amazing dude you know that like there's not a lot of people that bounce back to look the way you look and act the way you act right now from that thank you legit i mean that's all the shows now documentaries shows there's a lot i mean there's there's very small amount of humans that make it to the NBA. Okay, very very small amount of humans that make it to the NBA. But I think that number is even smaller for the number of people that get off of what you were on there for so long. Yeah. I mean, that is yeah, man. absolute insanity. In the fact, now that you're giving back, and your son Chris is what a sophomore in college now playing hoops. Yeah, he's going to San Diego. Um, he was at BC. BC. He's the third Heron to fizzle out at BC. <laughs> <laughs> For different uh, reasons. For different, different reasons. reasons. Much different. Much different terms. Um, he's going to the West Coast. I don't blame him. You know, that's 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 where it's at. You know, and he's uh, he's ready to start start fresh out there. Um, my daughter's starting her freshman year at Providence College. So, yeah, life is good, man. Life. You know, uh, recovery has given me and my family everything we ever needed and wanted, and and I'm 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 blessed. Uh, I'm I'm truly blessed to to uh, to share it, to share it, to, to to talk about it, and and to encourage, right? Because people tell heroin addicts that life is over. You know, um, my life was just beginning. How's your shot? You still got a good shot or no? I'm I'm a phenomenal tennis player right now. Really? Oh, phenomenal, phenomenal. <laughs> That's your thing. You go hang out and beat the hell out of the old folks at the tennis courts. Is no, you... no, no. See, I ha- at my wellness center now. I got a bunch of bunch of young adults. Hey, right? Virginia, Massachusetts. By the way, two of them. That is unbelievable. What you're giving yeah. back. 
Yeah, yeah. So I got some real good, you know, some athletes that come through here, some professional athletes, college athletes, old athletes. So tennis is, I'm a gorilla. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a gorilla on the tennis. <laughs> do, do you still talk to anybody from Fall River, anybody you grew up with? or? Of any- course. I, I drive through Fall River to get to my wellness center every day. Um, Fall River is, you know, I, I, I am Fall River, right? I'm through and through. It's in my blood. I, you know, I love the city. Um, I believe the culture and the mentality and that what I grew up in, that that's what kind of came out of it. It also came came out of me through basketball, but then also in recovery. Oh, the grit, right? You need that grit, grit from there to get through because mm-hmm. there's no easy day. Diggs, what do you got? Chris, you talk about athletes coming through your wellness center. Do the, Have you found that like a lot of athletes with problems uh, with addiction, stuff like that, seek you out? Or do you hear like their families coming to you for help and then and then you reach out to them? Is, does, does any of that happen? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, I keep my wellness center small. Uh, I believe in culture. Um, you know, it, it, I think it matters when you're, when you're healing. So we have 36 people here that live here. Um, but people reach out, out to me from all over, you know, whether it's athletes, actors, politicians, judges, doctors. Um, you know, we get all, all types. And that's, the, that's kind of the beauty uh, about addiction today that, you know, it crosses all boundaries, all all area codes. Um, you know, so we we get a lot of former athletes. We get a lot of current athletes uh, that come through here as well. But um, you know, it's it's sad because you said you smoke a lot of weed and a lot, too right. much. Yeah, probably. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, a lot, too much, probably. You, you, you perked up on that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I probably, it's good. It, it, it does good for me at the time. I hear you. I'm not, listen. No, Are you trying no, to get me to this wellness thing? I'm not going to, right now, I'm not going to. Hey, Chris. listen, I got a bed for you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you don't want me on that tennis court, Chris. You hear me? We'll be back in the yeah. second hour of radio. We can't say to talk to you. All right, so radio just shut off right there for the hard out there hey if i come in there no i am bringing my own tennis record I just, I, I, listen i'm waiting i'll be at the net <laughs> <laughs> well chris i think man this story like i don't even know how to sum up the conversation we just had there because i when i was when we were told we were going to talk to you i was so pumped about it and then we watched a documentary and i'm you you sound like you're right out of a movie like not the accent but i'm just talking about your life is straight now the accent is also ridiculous but you <laughs> you are straight out of a movie man like you're not supposed to be where you're at right now and the fact you're giving back to so many people and changing the world it's a beautiful thing chris it's an absolutely beautiful thing thank you brother thank you very much what do you got there denali escalade what are we sitting in yeah I'm sitting in it outside my wellness center because there was too much noise. Oh, um, get a little hectic but, in there, huh? A little, little trash talk in there. Hey, listen, I'll be at the net waiting for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're scared, you just let me know. Ladies and gentlemen, NBA player, author, speaker, Fall River legend, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Heron. Thank yeah! you. Thank you, man. Love you, brother. Hey, I'm yeah, going to get you. your book. I need to get your book. Anytime, I'll send it to you. No, I'll pay for it. I like supporting business. Let me buy it. But I will need you to sign it, and I will let. I'll need you to say, uh, "I got Sampris by McAfee." <laughs> if you could please. No doubt. All right, I appreciate it, ladies and gentlemen, Chris. Aaron. Yes. Yes. What a stud, dude. Mm-hmm. Hey.
beast. That was a real convert. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We just had a real conversation. Mm-hmm. You saying... Uh, How the fuck are you on 1,600 milligrams of Oxycontin, and then you're in the NBA balling? I, I don't know. Scoring 20 points. Cover the, cover the newspaper. Bro, that is next level. Like, when I said you might be the greatest athlete of all time, th- imagine what's going on in there while he's doing I mean, that is just next level. Dude. That is an insane amount. I am so thankful. But you also saying, like, this many people make it to the NBA, this many people make it through what he did. Like, that's very true. Very true. You watch Intervention or you mm-hmm. watch any of these documentaries or Live PD even. It's become, like, well, that show's been canceled. But if you watch Live PD, it's all these people that are battling this. Mm-hmm. You either end up on the street or you end up dead or mm-hmm. the very, 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 very small amount end up like him. And it's just like, damn unbelievable what he's accomplished. Yeah, you hate to say it, but like you look at somebody like Delonte West. Like That's oh, yeah. a similar situation where they just end up in these terrible situations and one made it out and one... And those videos of Delonte West mm-hmm. that come out are just so, so, so sad. Yeah. But mm-hmm. Man, him outside TD Garden when his Boston Celtics jumper, right? Just <laughs> Crazy. Like, yeah, I got a guy coming 10 minutes away. <sighs> yeah, he needs a spot. I'm a big fan of that Chris Heron guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's go ahead and pivot over to a man who's been the heavyweight champion of the UFC. He's been the light heavyweight champion of the UFC. And on August 15th, he steps back into the octagon to fight Stipe, ladies and gentlemen. Commentator for the UFC, badass of a human, Daniel Cormier. Yeah! Yeah! What's What's going on, guys? How you doing, Pat? Am I allowed to call you DC? Yeah, you're definitely allowed to call me DC. Hey, DC, let's talk about it, pal. Hey, you are one of the greatest athlete commentators I've ever heard in my entire career. So good for you on that whole thing. Oh, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. I'm just a fan of the fights. I enjoy watching them. I enjoy calling them. And I'm lucky enough to have that job. Well, you do a great job. And whenever the, uh, the arenas were not allowed to be filled with fans because of uh, COVID-19 quarantine, they were just putting the fights on. Me, as like a common fan, I enjoyed the fights a lot because I could hear the sounds more. I could hear the corners talking to the fighters. We could hear you guys having a good time. One of the fighters, I believe one of the first fights was like, I actually heard Cormier say something and I gave it a go. It's like, well, there, isn't that an interesting situation when you have one of the greatest fighters of all time sitting right next to you like... If I was him, I'd be doing this right now. Is that something you even think about while calling these fights with nobody in there? You know, man, honestly, when I first heard that we were going to be doing it with no crowd, I didn't really know how it was going to go. But at the end of the night, I looked at Joe Rogan and I go, man, I I didn't hate this. Like, I really didn't hate not having the fans. Now, obviously, the fans add a lot to the, to the, 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 the deal, but... It was nice, man. And it was also cool whenever it was uh, Greg Hardy and it was a girl named Carla Sparza. They both said, well, we heard Daniel, so we were kind of listening. And I was like, that's different. But in (laughs) Vegas now, they put a plexiglass around the commentators because we're the only people allowed in the arena without masks. So they put a plexiglass in front of the commentators. I think maybe that's helped, but... uh, not so much. Well, let's talk about the UFC uh, basement fighting, basically, that's going on right now. <laughs> let's talk. It's a smaller cage. In that first yeah. night with those smaller cages, we saw some massive knockouts. I mean, they were explosive fights. And my thought as a casual fan was like, is this what's going to happen with the smaller cage? And you actually spoke about this, I think, with Ariel Hawani about the smaller cage with Stipe. What is your mindset going in? Is it different than the bigger cage in your eyes? It's different. There's a lot less space to, to, to move around and maneuver. Pat, the octagon is eight sides. It's two and a half feet at every corner. So it's not just 
five feet smaller in total. It's two and a half feet at every corner. So there's about this much space added at every corner of the octagon. So could you imagine how much bigger it is? Yeah. So it's way smaller. It it, it really does uh, make you kind of engage much sooner. And there's not much space to run. And I think for me, it, it's better. I'm, I'm 5'11". Stipe Miocic is 6'3". You know, so he wants the space. He's a boxer. He wants the space to move and maneuver, whereas I kind of want to be in close. So it works for me. Okay, so I saw you for the first time. You walked into Jay Glazer's gym, and you were wearing a shirt that said, I break bones, okay? Yes. <laughs> and I was working out, and I think I had just partied with John Jones like two weeks before that. <laughs> and I, I looked I looked over, and I was like, that guy right there, is he a trainer for somebody? They're like, no, that's Daniel Cormier, and do not disrespect him. He will beat the <laughs> hell out of you. And I was like, I was just with John Jones, okay? I was just with John Jones. John Jones is this physical specimen. And, like, when you look at him, you're like, that guy is a physical specimen. Same with Stipe. I got to meet him in Columbus. They're big guys. You have this relatable build in Gary Brackett, yeah. who's one of my good friends, had the same exact thing. I would assume that whenever you're going in, a lot of it is, hey, what is going to be the best way for me to beat this particular person? And you said that there's going to be a lot of wrestling in this match with Stipe, whether fans like it or not. It's The fight is August 15th. It's June 30th currently. Like, when do you start getting into the studying, like the film, the training? Are you in the middle of camp and study right now? Oh, yeah. And yeah, how does I'm, the I'm, day, what is the day like? Well, today is, 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 is a tough day, right? Like, after I'm done with this, I go and lay in my hyperbaric chamber because I got to get myself prepared for wrestling practice. Wrestling practice is... Is just insane. I've got so many high-level wrestlers in here right now, scrapping with on the daily. Then in the evening, I get my my kickboxing coach Javier Mendez comes in here and works me out. But I, I go through fourteen workouts a day. But as you said, you know I'm the guy that's really fourteen. Not, not a day. I'm sorry. Not a day. I'm sorry. A week. A week. Oh, okay. Jeez. So, yeah. A week. Oh I'm sorry. God. Like that's impossible. I do work out. I miss both. But uh, um. I'm very relatable, right? In the sense that I'm not six foot five. I'm not mus big muscular guy, you know? But I have an approach. I, I tell everybody, I said, hey, man, these guys are sports cars. I'm a Ford Expedition. I'm good for durability, you know? I get in their face and get after them. But yeah, I'm right in the middle of training camp. Look, you see this? I oh, got a gun on my eye last week. Oh, who uh, was it? In my bar. Who, so, was, who was it? It was this guy named one of my training partners. His name is Tiago Beowulf for sparring. And we're using the small gloves and, and Pat. A lot of times when guys use the small gloves like the fight, they're worried about the cuts. They're worried about getting hit hard. So everybody's kind of just like touching, and it doesn't really do anything. So I encourage my partners to try and actually hit me so that I have to move. And, well, this time I didn't move fast enough. And <laughs> got me in the eye, you know? But well, to me, it's not a big deal. It just means that we're rocking and rolling, you know, we're right in the middle of getting prepared. Well, you're six, seven weeks out now at this point. Yes. Um, yes. When was the last time you fought? I've been fought since last year in August. I mean, I fought Stipe. Stipe and I fought July of 2018. I beat him. Then I fought in December. No, I fought in November of 18. But then I had back surgery in December of 18. So I was out until August. And then he beat me. And then he's been out since that fight. So we're waiting for the third fight. Neither one of us has fought. So that, that training is insane. Like I got a chance. Chris Lytle here is from Indianapolis, and they train in this indie boxing and grappling. Uh, it's a basement of a 
Ooh, see you later, man. Nice job. <laughs> no, no, I just was grabbing my fucking computer charge. I just looked up. It says 5%. Oh, come on, DC. Get it together. Know, this is unprofessional, man. This is bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I've gone and like rolled with Lytle and, and Matri- Mitrione's over here as well. In those workouts were the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And I felt like I was in pretty good shape at the time. Whenever you're out for that long, is there ever the thought like you're a little bit worried that, hey, am I going to be able to get back into shape? Especially you're like 42, I think, right? I'm 41 years old. And I was like, hey, this is it. Like, I I didn't know. Like, when the quarantine hit and I gained like 17 pounds, I was like, man, this might be the end of me. (laughs) (laughs) This might just be over. But then I started to do things slowly, right? I started to build the gym in my garage. And then I started to run. And I started to hit the bag. And this was right in the middle of quarantine. We're not doing anything, you know. So a few days a week, I would go out there and get on the treadmill. And I would hit some rounds on the heavy bag. And I was like, okay, I'm starting to get a little smaller. I'm starting to feel more like myself. And then we went to Jacksonville for that first UFC fight back. I brought my training partner and I said, hey, it's 14 weeks from the fight. I know it's long, but I need you to come here and hold pads with me, spar with me, do things light so that we can get ready to get ready. So I've been doing stuff for the last eight weeks now as I head into the final six weeks of training camp just to get ready to get ready. And as the time is going on, um, today I feel like myself, right? I can get up. I can I can go and I can wrestle. I can go and I can train. I can do the things that have made me uh, have all the success in fighting. Have you come to the decision that this will be your last fight? Has that been a thought? Oh, yeah. This is it? Oh, yeah, this is it. Yeah, this is a wrap, man. This is it. This is the last time. Um, look at my hair, man. <laughs> look at my freaking hey, hair. Your hair's <laughs> on like 22%. Your computer's hey, on this five. Is why I wear a hat. You know, like, <laughs> I don't get haircuts when I'm in the middle of training camps. I'm wearing hats. But um, yeah, my hair's out, man. I, it, my hair has gone through the ringer. And like, who who looks like that? But yeah, this is it. You know, I, I've done everything, man. I've, I've done everything. I, it just means something to me to finish this trilogy with Stipe. Because not only is he um, the greatest heavyweight of all time, and this fight will determine who is the greatest heavyweight in UFC history and, and of course, and definitely of this era. Um, he's also a good guy, a guy that uh, does the right thing. And um, I'm excited to finish this trilogy with him. And that'll be the time that I step into the octagon last. You know, I mean, it's been fun. This has been a great ride for me. I never could have imagined that I would be doing this for so long at the highest levels. I mean, I fought the number five heavyweight in the world a year and a half into my career. Now I'm 10 years in, and, you know, I'm still fighting at the highest level, so I'm well, lucky. Well, congrats on a hell of a run. Can't wait to watch your final battle here with Stipe. But getting to meet Stipe in Columbus and Lytle and Mitrione and a lot of fighters I've gotten a chance to drink or have a good time with, incredibly deep thinkers. Like, that, there is something yeah. special. There's something special about having the ability to have this gladiator mentality to go into a cage and not want to be not be angry at the person immediately after for trying to kill you. Like, there is something special yeah. about that. Whenever you go into this fight with Stipe, who is also a very good guy, you just alluded to it, what are the thoughts? It's just like, hey, this is 100% a chess match, me versus Stipe. There isn't going to be a lot of buildup like, hey, I think this guy's a douche. Hey, I hate you. You hate you, which is a classic fight buildup, even in high school or junior high. This mm-hmm. is just something where it's like, hey, we are the two guys and we're just gonna have to figure out how to beat each other. Is that going to be the marketing and, and kind of the buildup for it? Well, you know, the reality is like we fought twice, right? And there was a, num- a lot of aggravation on his part for not getting an immediate rematch. There's been a lot of aggravation on my part for having to wait. Anytime you fight somebody two times and you're going into a third fight, your relationship absolutely changes. So whereas before we were very cordial and we were almost friendly, 
that's not the case anymore. Oh, you know, so there's respect, but that's definitely not the case. We're not oh. friends anymore. Uh, but maybe later. But right now, it, it's ultimately going to be. I have to win at all costs. Like I cannot lose this fight. This fight means everything to me. Hell yeah, it's what you're going to remember forever. Your last fight, your last taste in your mouth. And now granted, you're always going to be, for as long as you want to be, the voice of the UFC. But right now with the UFC, there's a lot going on. Whether it's John mm-hmm. Jones, who a guy who you have had a lot of beef with and a lot of great bouts with and a lot of hype around him talking about fighters making more money or other fighters coming out saying, hey, we deserve more money. It's your last fight now, but you're still going to be on the UFC payroll for a long time. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of hard to balance and be like, I agree that I think fighters should be making more money but we also have to understand the business side or like how does that whole thing work out you think in your mind you know i think that that guys do deserve money like jones deserves a lot of money for all that he's done over the course of his career um but the reality is you know i feel like i you know it's just different i feel like all these these negotiations and I'm sure you went through a ton of negotiations in your career. We never heard you talk about it publicly. And I think when guys are talking about the fighter pay and everything publicly, that's what's hurting them. Because I know that, and I, I said this on my show a few weeks ago, Pat, like as the champion, I was making you know millions of dollars. But my contract, because I got it so long ago, was for 300 grand if I would fight as a challenger. Because I figured I would never lose the belt, so that's fine. Just make it something but I would never fight for $300,000 right now. So I go to the UFC and I speak to them about me getting paid fairly. And because I don't do it publicly, I get it. I got, I got what I wanted, right? I got the pay that I was getting as the heavyweight champion. So it's like, it's just a matter of doing these things in the right, under the right circumstances. And I think it can be worked out. I really do. We have to get to a a break for radio. Uh, DC will stick around with us on YouTube. Uh, Let's get to that right now. Don. We're clear. Okay. (laughs) So I assume Dana White, though, is he the guy that's negotiating the contract with you whenever you go in there and you're like, hey, listen, this is what I was making. We know that I am a voice of the sport. Every Mm -hmm. time I fight, people enjoy my fights. Is that kind of how it works? Because it feels like I do. I do a lot of work with WWE. when it, not currently, but I have in the past. And whenever you talk to the people at B, and if you handle your business that way, like they appreciate it almost. It's like, okay, this is yeah. how you handle your business. It, is it same? Well, reality you? was like I like I don't I don't this time I talked to Dana, but I never say <clears throat> I'm a commentator. I've done all this for the or I never say that. I just I say listen, you know. And this time it was with Hunter Campbell, who's a the lawyer Dana's lawyer and. And a very high up does all the contract negotiations for the UFC at this point. But we go to Hunter and I go, Hunter, I said, you know, what my contract states is something that, you know, obviously after five years of making what I was making, I would not want to go back to that. And uh, it was it was very easy to get back to the number that I was comfortable with. That's awesome. Let's talk around. But it's done behind closed doors. Right. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram. And this was like one of my my deals with Jorge Masvidal, who I think is a phenomenal fighter. I was like, you know, he was thanking all the fans that have supported him through this fight with the UFC, but it's like, they're not going to pay him, right? Ultimately, his money comes from that organization, so it's better to work it out with that organization opposed to doing it and getting the support and love of the fans. Well, I think as soon as you make it public, then it's seen as a competition, Right then, the and, negoc- then you, and if you know Dana White, you need to, you know. <laughs> let's talk, let's talk about the UFC. Uh, there's a guy in the WWE world who went over there, Brock Lesnar, 
And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you and Brock ever fought or anything like that, but what are your thoughts on what Brock was able to accomplish over there? And do you wish, for the good of the sport, UFC, do you wish that Brock would have focused strictly on mixed martial arts, or do you think he— Brock and I had a big moment after I beat Stipe because he was in the crowd. So I called him into the octagon, and we pushed and shoved at each other. And I cut a promo on him. He cut a promo on me. It was like WrestleMania. Let's go. It was freaking awesome. And we were scheduled to fight. But then Brock never got his contract worked out with the UFC, so the fight never happened. So for me, it sucked, right? Because that's big money. You fight Brock Lesnar, it's big money. You know, he's a he's a draw in the wrestling world. He's a draw in the mixed martial arts world. I think he could have been something tremendously special if he just did MMA. But to be a UFC champion and have – he's got seven fights in his whole career, eight fights in his whole career. So to have worn the UFC belt with that little experience – that speaks to the level of athlete that Brock, Le- Brock Lesnar is. You would have beat up Brock Lesnar? I would have crushed Brock Lesnar. Oh! <laughs> I would have walked him. I, mean, I would have walked Brock Lesnar. I would have walked Brock Lesnar out of the octagon. And for me, it was great, right? Because it was a great visual, right? Brock's this big hulking guy. I'm small. I'm pudgy. It's like, but then I'm going to beat the I'm just going to kick Brock's ass. Like, it's perfect for me. Uh, it didn't happen. The opinions of my guests do not reflect that of me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I forget who it was now. Um, somebody was in the case. Who just had that big knockout? Uh, just walked straight ahead and just Francis threw, Ngannou. Just threw mm-hmm. bombs at the guy. Oh, yeah. It was Francis Ngannou, man. And I forget. Somebody was talking shit on you, I guess, asking if you were scared or something. And Yeah. Like, <laughs> you were yeah, like, DC, you're scared of Francis. And I believe your words were, I would kill that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's just crazy when people – it's just crazy, right? Because I, I believe fighters have a different mentality. Like fear isn't the word that jumps into your mind when you see somebody do something spectacular. It's, it's, an, it's intrigue, you know, in, you know, like interesting. You know, like this guy is interesting now. He, uh, he, he now is a guy that's viable. You know, it's not fear. It's never fear. It's like, it's like almost intrigue. Like, wow, I wonder what people would think after watching him do all that he's done to see me beat him like oh. that that's what's that that's what goes into a fighter's head initially it's not fear ever so that's your motivation your motivation is now granted money is good and legacy yeah, and, and all that stuff i mean that is obviously great but the thought of you walking out of that cage as a winner and watching that person limp out after what they just did to another human for you that's like all these motherfuckers are talking about what this guy was just able to do. But if I was to get in there, it'd be a whole different story. That's your mindset every single fight? Most, yeah, every time. Every time when these guys fight and everybody, you know, when I was the champion, I'd be next to the octagon. They would all call me out after looking phenomenal. And the only thing I would think about was, like, if this guy gets to fight me, I'm going to try to make him seem so normal. <laughs> I want to take the guy that seems abnormal, the guy that seems like a superhero, and I want to make him seem normal. What? average you know that's like my i love doing that to people i remember anthony johnson was just knocking people out so bad mm-hmm. and he fought glover to share and he knocked them on 14 seconds and i was sitting in the front row with my wife and we were just watching the fight and he was going to be the next challenger and the crowd's going crazy and joe rogan goes the champion sitting right there you have anything to say to him and in my mind i was just thinking when i fight this guy i'm gonna smash him like okay let's build it but i know i'm gonna smash him and I had already beaten him. So he had beat everybody else, and he had gotten back to me. But I was like, the same thing is going to happen. Break him, I'm going to smash him. And then I submitted him in the second round. But it was like, he looked so great, but I knew I was going to make him look average. And that's the approach I take with everybody. I'm just like, I'm going to make this dude 
that the people think is 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 amazing look average. And is that because of your wrestling background? That that is wrestling the equalizer. Just my mentality as a competitor. I think I'm just like a very competitive person. It's like I love the competitive fire that burns inside of me, but it's also like my biggest like it's like a gift and a curse because I'm not okay most times with just things being okay. You know, it's like probably it's affects crazy. your personal life if I had to guess. It really does at times. I'm competing in everything. Yeah, it's like I can never just. A lot of times, like it's hard to just be happy. You know, even I compete in 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 in, in competition. Obviously, I compete in video games. I compete in life. I compete in uh, being on the TV side of things. I try to compete to be the best in that. Like I'm never okay just being okay, and that's like it's great. It's allowed me to be who I am, but it also can be tough to deal with at times it's annoying isn't it it is annoying yeah, it is, it, is. it like, really is pretty dang annoying it is like it gets to the point when i don't think a lot of people truly understand this but you lose a lot of friends because of said competitive as i would assume i i would assume that is something that happens because it's like uh okay we're doing something we might as well make this a competition and mm. in said competition i'm probably gonna win you're gonna be upset and probably never play tennis again that is what happened <laughs> yeah. that's what happened to all my friends whenever they were playing tennis for like an entire two three months i go back to visit them because i spent vacations in pittsburgh with them whenever i was in the off season and they were like hey we're having a tennis tournament you want to play they're like trying to get me or whatever never played tennis before in my life i win the tournament okay. there's still guys yeah. that i have not talked to from that tournament <laughs> yeah, still course. mad at me it is an annoying thing i don't think people truly understand it's like whenever no, it's bad yeah it, it really gets bad because i'll go to do the fights right and, and preparation is good but it's like at times you're like you want to have that one thing the other guy doesn't have so you say it and you sound like you're more prepared or you're more smart like everything's a competition it sucks like <laughs> i can't even, i can't even let my son beat me in basketball when we're outside in the driveway <laughs> <laughs> my wife's like why are you doing that to him i'm like he needs to learn that nothing's ever going to be easy and also, he needs to learn that his dad is probably just going to beat the hell out of him in everything. We got 20 seconds until this radio break. Go ahead. It was, was there ever a thought of you and Stipe fighting on the island? Was Were they trying to push you guys to get there, or was that was that never in the in the uh, cards? You know, part of it is American American fighters are fighting in, the, in, in Vegas, right? The foreign fighters are fighting on the island for the most we'll part tomorrow. because they can't get into the United mm -hmm. States right now. Did you you said you've known about this fight with Stipe since Jacksonville? So Yeah. So you I knew before obviously I knew we knew before uh um the general public, right? Like so I knew that they were gonna target August first. That was supposed to be the original date. But because in um cool. in Ohio they they weren't open, the gyms weren't open, they had to move the fight a couple weeks for Stipe once everything kind of opened to give him enough time to prepare. He's the heavyweight champion in the world. You know, he deserves that. So, yeah, but I knew since before Jacksonville that August 1st was going to be the target date. Uh, thank you so much for taking time with us here. Only a couple more questions, if you don't mind. No problem. Uh, Conor McGregor. Mm -hmm. That name is a name that has become synonymous with UFC, synonymous with the fight game. I mean, he what he was able to do and build in such a short time is nothing short of remarkable. Now, for the third time in whatever, four years, he is retired. And I talked to Ariel Hawani, uh, co-host of yours on DC and Ariel. Um, I talked to him and he said it's not retire. It's more so frustration that the UFC mm -hmm. won't give him a fight because he wants to fight more and more and more. How do you view that entire situation with Conor McGregor? And do you think we see him back in the octagon sooner than later? 
I think we'll see him back in the octagon, especially after Dustin Poirier looked so good last weekend. Oh, yeah. That's a fight that he would do, you know, because he understands that he beat Dustin before. Dustin has all this hype now. I think he'd be interested. But, you know, I did my show, and I spoke about that. I'm like, just let Connor fight. But then I talked to Dana that day. He called me, and he goes, it's not about – he goes, do you think I don't want to do a Conor McGregor fight? He goes, that's crazy. We all want to do a Conor McGregor fight. But – Conor McGregor fighting in without fans, you lose between ten and eighteen million dollars at the gate. That's how big he is. And I was trying to explain that at, at our fights, right? You're on the concourse, and there's a T-shirt stand here. And at the WWE, you see it. There's one at every corner of the concourse. Oh yeah. Conor's fights, there's one every thirty feet. There's a there's a T-shirt stand, and there's and a merchandising stand, and there's merchandising stands outside, and the tickets that cost. A thousand dollars or twelve hundred bucks in Vegas to watch me and Jones fight cost twenty seven hundred dollars to watch Conor McGregor fight Damn. at the ringside. You know, so it's like he's just so big that you want him to fight in front of fans. But if he does fight in front of no fans, it'll do gangbusters on pay per view. But the reality is, he wants the fights that he wants, and then it doesn't really work. That's I think that's what Dane explained to me at that happened. Well, that makes so a lot Conor, of sense. It makes a lot of sense. It makes sense, right? But he told Connor, listen, Habib and Tony are scheduled to fight. You can be the guy. If anybody gets hurt, you'll step in. Connor said, I'm no replacement, right? I want to be the guy. It's my fight, or, you know, and it doesn't work like that. So Justin Gaethje took the deal that Connor didn't. Gaethje ends up beating Ferguson. Now he's fighting Habib instead of, uh, instead of McGregor. How do you feel about McGregor going against the wrestling types? Because you're a wrestling type. And that seems to be a great equalizer. Like the wrestling. He didn't just, you know, Pat, I don't want to make it to where he just struggled against a wrestler. He struggled against the absolute best guy at doing what he does, Habib Nurmagomedov, right? Like it's not like he just took on some average wrestler. Habib is the best at implementing that game plan, taking you down and just essentially smashing you to the point that that, you know, eventually – you get submitted or you just get worn out. So I think Connor has better takedown defense than people want to give him credit for. He just did it. He just lost to the absolute best in the game. I mean, Habib's 29 and 0. I mean, who do, who gets to 29 and 0 in MMA? <laughs> every, there's a hiccup every now and again. Habib has had no hiccup. You're going to get got. Do you think there's ever going to be a time where somebody like Connor or I thought John Jones maybe five, ten years ago could have done this, where it's the Floyd Mayweather thing, where mm-hmm. you create your own world. It's the only competition that, in boxing. I guess it happens a lot with Golden Boy and Floyd and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But I thought like five, ten years ago, before all the out-of-the-cage stuff happened with John Jones, I thought John Jones was one of the only guys that could have been able to sell out an arena, sell mm-hmm. a fight by himself. Conor McGregor's proved that he could do that. Do you think that'll ever happen? Do you think Dana will be able to get these deals done with everybody to kind of stay in, under the UFC? umbrella well i think these guys are all in the contract too right like you know you know contracts are you know you're not going to just get out of a contract to go fight somewhere else because even if you do go and box don't think the ufc won't have their hand in that money you know because you're under contract with the organization um i believe that i believe that jones will eventually get his situation worked out because they'll come to a number that is massive right he said he makes five million a fight right now so he's not getting making no money so what if it ends up at seven million and then he's happy i think jones and them will come to a, an agreement i think i think eventually um everybody else will be okay i think they'll all get a little push but i, I think it'll work out and i just don't know if it can work just on your own because 
you got to remember, Pat, when when the days of Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz and those guys were over, everybody said, oh, UFC's done. And then here came John Jones and those guys, right? And Ronda Rousey. And it was like, oh, Ronda Rousey's done. It's over now. Well, here comes Conor McGregor, right? And here comes Habib Nurmagomedov. And, and all these, you know, it, it, just, it just continues to replenish itself because now the UFC is so big and it's, the machine never will stop rolling. So um, it's just some, even, even when Jones was out with all this stuff, right? I was the, I'm the champion and I can go anywhere in the world and represent the UFC in a way that people aren't going, well, what happened to the other guy? You know, it's always, it's always an, a, another person that's going to step up and the UFC is so big now that it just survives and it's going to survive. Well, you've been a great champion for them, a great voice for them, a great representative for them, and I can't wait to watch your fight on August 15th. The last one, the swan song. Let's go get a win, DC. Yeah, let's go do it, man. Of course, it has to be a victory. I'm, I'm going to leave that octagon with my hand raised. I don't care what it takes. What Now, you'll get a belt, right? Yeah, obviously. You'll- I will get a belt. I'll get another belt. Did you see my – you want to see my belt case? Oh, oh yeah. Let's go, DC. I need one because you know I got all the – I got the old ones. Yeah. But I just the only one I need now is the new one. Here. Oh, wow. what are those from t- uh, from bottom to top? There, these one, two, UFC, 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 all UFC, and then my Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix Championship. <laughs> but these are my these are my titles and title defenses. So back in the UFC, when it when in the time before, it was like if you won a belt, you got to keep the belt, and then. Uh, I won. I won the light heavyweight title and defended it four times. I think so. That's five. Then I won the heavyweight championship, defended it, and that's seven. And then I was the double champion for a fight. So they ended up giving me an extra belt. So yeah, what happened with eight. the what happened with the light heavyweight? You just didn't want to compete at light heavyweight anymore. Is that what happened? Well, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to. Well, I had back surgery, right? And then I was like, man, I don't want to go back down to light heavyweight. It's cutting a lot of weight. I was I was just out of surgery when Jones and those guys were scheduled to fight for the belt. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna give it up and, and just stay the heavyweight champ, you know, not cut the weight anymore. It's easy to give one up when you got two of them. I tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's talk about your recovery now. You are working with a company that we do close work with, which is CBDMD. I utilize oh, yeah. I utilize the CBD PM every single night. It's the greatest <laughs> droplet thing of all time. When did your relationship start with them, and how has that whole thing gone? You know, man, CBDMD has been a, a great part of my, my uh, the later part of my career because I needed things to help with the inflammation and the pain. And uh, just Hans Molenkamp, you know, I've known Hans for a while uh, through my relationship with Monster Energy. And and, and, and when the CBDMD company uh, started to make moves in the mixed martial arts, he thought that we would be a match made in heaven. And we have been. You know, it's, it's, it's a great company. I use the droplets. But I'm more about the CBDMD freeze, man. I just sit there and I'm just rubbing it all over my leg. Oh yeah. Back. I've taken a I've taken a really strong approach to recovering this fight. So outside of the hyperbarics and the massage, like when my massage therapist comes and they stretch me, they put the CBDM cream all over my all over my back and all over my wrist, all everywhere. You're gonna be the have, you're gonna be the best fighter you've ever been at 41. That's unbelievable. I've never done so much in terms of trying to prepare myself fully. Like I've never done as much in this regard with, with with recovery with the training with the focus with everything it's been amazing nutrition as well i'd assume is being added in there. yeah my, my my nutritionist came back with me from vegas after the last fight i called so i'll be doing my 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 chef has been here for 
He'll be here for 12 weeks by the time I get to the office. Are you going to have a six-pack? Are you going to have a six-pack? No, I'll never have a (laughs) six-pack. Me neither. I I wrestled 185 pounds in college, and I still didn't have a six-pack. There's just something in my genetics. What are you at now? Uh, 240. Like 240. What's weigh-in day? What do you got to get to? I don't have to weigh in anything, but, you know, it's just under 265. So last fight, I weighed 235 or 236. I mean, I, I figure I'll be within that range this time. Good for you. Ladies and gentlemen, by the way, this is a golf championship. <laughs> I see that, I, and I'm trying to take that, too. <laughs> when I put it up, I was like, man, I want that. <laughs> All I want, now, it's like in my life now, is to get that belt off the pat. I'll tell you what. I think we both have that competitive trait, and if we get on a golf course at this point, I think you have next to no chance, but whenever no you're chance at all, when you're done, when you're done fighting though, and you got a little bit more time and you pick up the stick in the little round ball, I assume you will beat my ass on the golf course. I just Bad, I'm going to hire a golf. I'm going to hire a golf pro to teach me. <laughs> we go all in around here. We don't just do things for fun. We go all in. Well, I can't wait to watch you go all in on August 15th, your final fight against Stipe for the heavyweight championship of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel, Cormier. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. No, you're all, great day, boys. You're awesome. Thank you so much. Good luck with your 14 no problem, training guys. sessions today. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers, man. Hello and welcome to McAfee and Hawk Sports Talk. Yeah. Yeah. I am Pat McAfee. Sitting to my left in front of a fake bookcase is AJ Hawk. What's up, Pat? You feeling good? How did your morning show go? I know yesterday you uh, it was a bit oh. of like a therapy session. We got to get some negativity out. Well, yeah, I hate those a lot of, not all, but some of those, you know, journalists that think they run shit and their time is tick-tocking away quickly, very, very quickly. So I'm happy we got to talk about that, but... This morning, we had a therapy session with uh, Chris Heron. Chris Heron. Oh. You know who Chris Heron is? The basketball player? Oh. Legend. Dude, wild conversation today with him. He's cool. He, by the way, I'm going to go play him in tennis at one of his wellness things. He said he's a gorilla on the court, <laughs> is what he said. <laughs> yeah. Exact words. A gorilla on the court. That's an insane story, and I, I, want, I want to get your opinion on this. He was taking 1,600 milligrams of Oxycontin a day. With the standard, I guess, is like 20 milligrams is normally what you get uh, offered or whatever. He was playing basketball at an elite level, so much so he got drafted 33 while doing this uh, overall. Played for the Nuggets, played for the Celtics. He was picking up drugs outside of games 10 minutes before they start because he couldn't play unless he was on Oxycontin or whatever. With his warm-ups on. That was my favorite part of the one thing I saw, with his warm-ups on. Yes, outside the TD Garden with his warm-ups on 10 minutes before the game starts. So his coach doesn't even care. Like, go do what you got to do outside. Yeah, we get it. He goes and does that. He starts that game. He might be the greatest athlete of all time. Just think about what was going on in between his ears, which is this is, by the way, where everything lies for a professional athlete is in between ears. A lot of people have the body, the capability. They just can't get it right in between here. He was battling against 1,600 milligrams of Oxycontin at least a day while playing in the NBA. Might be the greatest athlete of all time. Like I don't know how you would ever do that. I have no idea how that happens. Uh, But, boy, what a a remarkable story about getting sober, getting clean. He's coming up on 12 years sober. He's taking care of the community. I mean, I love the conversation with Chris a lot. 
I think he's he's awesome. Like from what I've seen and, and watched, I think there was a thirty for thirty on him. Unguarded. Yeah, it made a lot of people aware of, of his story, which is so crazy to think about. Like, what if it, what if he was living in the age of social media and oh. he's standing outside in his Celtics warm-ups, his full uniform, trying to get some pills from a dude? Like, I think they might have some of that, some footage of that if it was. Imagine day. me walking up to that. Imagine me with my phone. Go- this motherfucker right here <laughs> is Chris Heron. No what? one probably believed him. That's the thing. Like, who? Look at this guy's a diehard fan. He got really. He got the authentic warm up somehow. I got to find out where he did this. I told him that the amount of people that make it to the NBA that play basketball is minuscule. The amount of people that make it out of the addiction that he had to opioids and heroin and everything else, cocaine at one point, is minuscule as well. He's accomplished two things that next to nobody ever accomplishes, both in the same life, and now he's. 12 years sober. Uh, his kid is now playing basketball in college at San Diego. I mean, it's just like, what a life for that guy. That guy has lived 10 lives in one life. He was in the NBA, and he said he doesn't even really think about it anymore. He's just happy to be where he's at, and sobriety has given him more than anything. But it was a cool convo. That was a that was a really cool Much different conversation in this show than my show normally has. Much different. I mean, at the yeah, end, I- there's a little shit talk, but at, at <laughs> my, very, very much different. I believe. Well, do you think he had that same issue? Like, like you said, he's he's copping pills ten minutes before a game in his warmups. Does he? he it, it was such a crutch for him that he felt like he needed it. I mean, I'm sure he felt like he needed it at all. He said times, he needed but, it. What's that? He said he didn't think. Because I asked him, I was like, "Was there ever a time where maybe like sobriety hit you?" Because I had a moment where I took mushrooms. Actually, it was in college. I had a real moment of. I don't want to say clarity, but I was like, listen, I'm going to stop fucking around. I'm going to make it to the NFL. It was after my junior year. I had missed those kicks. I had 27 death threats. My roommates and I were, you know, my roommates were like the people that really helped me survive through that entire thing because I was going to try to dis. I don't know if I was going to kill myself, but I was going to disappear. Like I was, I got in my car and I drove to Maryland the next day, went over to Snowshoe and I was just going to keep on, I was going to go like just, I was just going to disappear. I had some money loans out. I was like, I'm, I'm, I've let down so many people. I don't want to do it. So I come back to get some clothes and read the guy that was with us this weekend, redheaded guy. I don't want to say he like slapped me, but he like gave me like this conversation. It was like, yo, you don't think you, we had to lead at halftime. You don't think I missed, I got a penalty for it. Like all this plays into it. Don't let all these outsiders kind of like bring you down or whatever. And I was like, I needed that. Like I actually needed that in my life. And then my roommates and I almost got tighter through that, that whole process. You know, a lot of players on the team and we got real tight. And then that spring after Rich left, Coach Stu was in there and Coach Stu amped up the drug testing policy. Okay. So. It was used. We used to be able to just take Visine bottle inside the tights. We get in there, no big deal. Pull the Visine, sleep with it in between your legs so it gets your body temperature. Pull it out, dump it into a cup. Boom, shut it. Here to the person, you're off running. Coach Stu, because he was so tight to all the players, he knew that's what we were doing, right? So he, Coach Stu knew that was our move. Like, wait, would you put the would you put clean piss in the Visine bottle? Yeah. So you was find, it enough? You find like the. Uh, the Mormon or the super good person on the team. There, there was a couple that we could go to and said, hey, need this. Like, you're not pregnant, right? No, obviously can't have that happen, but just pee in this thing. And then you put the Visine bottle, you put it down in your tights, in between your thighs, and then you would just sleep there. You'd sleep with it so it gets your body temperature. And then whenever they ask you to go in there, it would be at your back, right? They'd be standing behind you. You'd go in there, you'd pull it out, you'd tighten it and go, here you go, thank you so much. They test it for warmth to see if it passes or not, you're good, you're off and running. So Coach Stu was like our guy, 
right? So Coach Stu knew that about all of us. Like he he had overheard us talking and telling these stories. Wait, your, head, your head coach knew this. Well, he was the tight ends and special teams coach before he was the head coach, right? So he was like he was cool with all of us. So then he becomes a head coach after Rich Rod goes to Michigan after the that game against Pitt and all that stuff. And then Coach Stu, the interim head coach, wins the Fiesta Bowl. Then that spring he becomes you know our head coach. And he gave us, like, one of the first meetings, he, like, let everybody know, like, hey, there's a little bit different policy now when it comes to the drug testing, by the way. Because there were some people on the team that I think Stu didn't want on the team anymore that were on scholarship. And an easy way to get people, obviously, off scholarship is they fail a test or do something like that. And there were some guys, I think, that Rich Rod, that Bill thought Rich Rod was just keeping around, should not be keeping around. So that first drug test he gave, I, I think they tested 12 people, and I think 12 failed. Right, so all 12 failed and they were cut. So like that next morning, our conversation was like, hey, Bill Stewart was not fucking around when he was talking about. One guy did the trick. They said, uh, the pee's not warm enough, gonna need it again. Goes back upstairs, gets some more, puts it in the microwave, even goes in there. They're like, ah, sorry, not warm enough, gonna have to do it again. Like they, the the, the testers were told the game by Coach Stu, right? Like they were like, no, not good enough, gonna have to do it. So change everything. So we obviously try to get around that somehow and we found mushrooms. Okay, so mushrooms, if, unless Coach Stu was going to do a spinal tap, was not going to find out about mushrooms, right? And at that point, I decided I was not going to drink anymore. So really, like, my only thing here was either I, Spice wasn't even around then, or I did mushrooms. And I enjoyed them. But I had a, uh, I had one night, I remembered vividly, my roommates and I, because we were at a tighter p spot than we had ever been after that moment where people were, I mean, legitimately telling me they were going to kill me and my family and it was just it was rough for me like i never felt that way normally people like me so like whenever that was happening it was a whole new thing needed it to happen to become the person i am but it was rough i'll never forget in the in the uh in the kitchen we, it was like the end of the night we we're winding down from the trip and i had like an epiphany moment where i was like you know what i'm gonna stop fucking around i'm gonna actually focus on like I'm gonna focus on being a good ball kicker. Like that's what I'm gonna. Do. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Instead of just the forty thousand dollars in party loans and the penny pitchers and the drink till you drown Thursday, which I've gotten by with here the last three years, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna put this away. And it was like a real moment of clarity for me. And I did that. Right. Like I did that. Everything. Were you that, on? Were you when, on mushrooms when this epiphany happened? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was so. The next morning when when we woke up, I like probably went to sleep like probably four or five a.m. that morning. Whenever we did it, I wake up around eleven or noon, and I legitimately felt like a whole new person. Like I felt like a whole new person. I was like a little bit more driven, and I don't know why. Maybe it was just like I finally made the decision to do so. But then you could see everything for me just kind of turn up. Like I got a lot better, right? I still miss kicks or whatever, but everything just got a lot better because I made that decision. Like okay, I'm gonna stop with the bullshit. I'm gonna actually focus here on trying to make a living. And then I even comedy and like all that stuff was talked about in that kitchen whenever we were having a good time coming off the end of a mushroom trip and i asked i asked chris heron i was like was there ever a moment where you're like you know what if i didn't do all this i'd be the greatest basketball player on earth like if i if i like did you ever have that thought and he was like no his thought was that he needed it to play like that was his and for me that was a eye opener i was like so you viewed it almost as like a, i don't want to say like a ped but instead of something that would distract you from being your best he viewed it as something he needed which is just insanity because i think like a lot of other people who have seen him now he looks damn good by the way he looks like an actor he's handsome he's in i would have liked to see him play clear-headed ready to go and he said that that thought never even crossed his mind and that was wild to me that was fucking wild to me yeah well for some people though i think I mean, there's healthy distractions and there's unhealthy distractions. Like if he's sitting there worrying about where he's going to get his next 
batch of pills from and whatever, and he's always worried about where that's coming from. He doesn't have time to worry about and have the anxiety about basketball and all the pressure being placed on him from the outside. So maybe it was a little bit of a distraction. How long did he play in the NBA? Uh, uh, two seasons? Yeah, two years. Two years, he got hurt, and then he ended up playing overseas. But his rookie year with Denver, he said he played his best because the OGs of that team, and he listed off a bunch of them, they like – they knew he had, obviously, addiction. They, like, took care of him, he said. He said, I was the 12th man on the bench, and they took care of me. He said, that was the best year of my life or whatever. And then when he gets traded back to Boston, that's – I mean, that's an hour away from everybody he knows. Going home, man. It's like uh, Hernandez. They said going to the yep. Patriots was the worst thing that could happen mm-hmm. to him. He's right in there with all of his, his old crew. I was very thankful I did not end up at the Steelers because, boy, if I was a Pittsburgh Steeler those first couple years, oh, it would have been my fault. It would have been my fault for uh, sure. Well, didn't uh, didn't Jeff Reed try to make up for that a little bit? He had a <laughs> oh, few yeah. incidents. Skippy Reed. Skippy oh, Skippy. Reed Skippy beat the hell out of a paper towel dispenser in a town that was like 30 minutes north of what, us. Hey, what happened? Do you know what happened with that story? Why did he take it out on the, the paper towel dispenser? You've been there. You've been there. Okay. You've been there. You wash I, your I, hands. I don't think I... I can't say that I have, though. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you pee on yourself. Something happens when you're inc- incredibly inebriated, and you go to the paper towel dispenser, and you reach up in there, and maybe there's only one in there, and you oh, pull it out. Oh, oh man. Have you I'm ever angry. been that mad before? Mm-hmm. No, and, and Skippy Reed said, listen, I ain't happy about this. He started pounding that thing, and it's a tiny town where he was doing this at. I mean, it is a tiny, tiny town. And we just so happened to have a high school teacher that was from there, Mr. Jasper. And the next day or whatever it happened, he comes in. He was like, that was a good paper towel dispenser, too, man. That was that one was always stocked. I don't know what was happened. Was the automatic one? The no, automatic no, ones it, I get mad at because you wave your hand and you, it never comes out. I feel like David Blaine sometimes with those fucking things. Like, you put your hand under there, there's no water, and then somebody else pops up and there's water. It's like, well, did, did I just do a magic trick or is this thing completely fucking me over? I would like to know. You know the ones I like is the sensor that's on the side. Mm-hmm. So then you can just hit your backhand mm-hmm. off. Like I do the, I'll, do, I'll just yep. touch the thing with the back of the hand. Those ones underneath where you have to kind of like guess where they're at, that's a problem. That is In the soap ones, you're either oh, giving me way too much or not enough. And I need to be able to decide how much I would like. I mean, agree. Need a full squirt, at least. I do like the toilets that just flush by oh, themselves. Yeah, those, those are great. great. The toe-toe ones? Need to have those, though. Good touch. Mm-hmm. Need to have those, yeah. Have you ever used a squatty potty, the thing you lift your legs up when you take shit? Oh. Uh, you know what? I think I, I did have one for a little bit. I don't get it. I don't, my knee, well, you know, my right knee, I tore my PCL. There's no cartilage. It doesn't bend like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't my thing. I know Howard Stern always talked it up. Really? I didn't know that. He talked about a lot of the other stuff, too. Mm. How's he doing with that? Has he come through on the other side? I think so. He's Howard Stern. I don't know. It's, we're going to find out in a year. I have no stuff, idea. His stuff does not age well. Mm-mm. We Not many people. I wasn't do. a big Howard Stern fan. I've seen his movie, obviously, Private Parts, because I was a kid whenever that all came out, and it was like the right thing to do. And I saw a show on E! there for a little bit, but I wasn't like a diehard loyal listener. But I understood that Howard Stern was an animal. Like I, I understood Howard Stern has a following. Serious hedged their entire company on Howard Stern. Like, literally their entire company hedged it on there. And I, I've gotten some clips and stuff like that, but I wasn't into it back in the day. And then as I've gotten older, listening to him interview people is next level. It's like watching Bob Ross paint, you know? It's like, I enjoy that a lot. But boy, some of those old bits, mm. I'll tell you what, that w- they do not hold up. They do not, not hold up. But it's Howard Stern, I guess, I don't know. Yeah, he's like 70 almost. He's, isn't his contract up soon? He's trying to make a decision whether he's going to come back. He only works a couple of days a week anyway, doesn't he? 
Uh-huh. Yep, Tuesday, Thursday. It's over a Thursday. Uh-huh. So if his contract's up, that means there's, what, $7 billion opening up at Sirius? Just about. I think that's right. Yeah. Is that how much he made? I think he got signed for $10 billion mm-hmm. whenever he got signed to Sirius. That deal, he, that first deal he signed with Sirius, I'll never forget being like, what a fucking legend. Just talking into a microphone. Just talking into a microphone. Now you got Barstool getting $460 million or whatever it is, valuation. You got The Ringer getting $200 million from Spotify. You got Rogan getting, I know the exact numbers. I don't think anybody else does, but north of what everybody said he was going to get paid per year basically and then now they, i mean it's it's a whole new game hey how long is rogan it's a multi-year licensing deal with spotify yeah. do you know how many years i think it is four mm-hmm. i don't know the really? year i just know the monetary can't, can he do youtube anymore no. no clips though i think you can put clips up can't put the full show Full show has to live on Spotify's thing. I think you can put clips up to promote it still. I'm not sure how that works, but I did hear the number per year, and I'll tell you what. Joe Rogan's doing pretty, pretty good, <laughs> and he can still sell. He can still sell all his own ads. What? Yeah, he's just they're just licensing the show. I mean, it's just Rogan is right here, bub. Rogan is the, the blueprint. Rogan is the model. And I... There's some stuff coming up about Rogan back in the day, too, now. I mean... Mm-hmm. Yeah, every single company actually... Oh, yeah, named. they're going back and attacking what joey diaz when he was on his show and thing all the i mean joey diaz has said so many crazy things but i guess rogan was laughing at it. yeah they come after everybody I, I mean i get it see i just got body shamed by mitchell berger on in the youtube oh, comments oh, come on, come come on, on. Dude, he needs to get that weight down what are you talking about this is literally the best i've looked in probably five years at this point <laughs> i gotta sit down in a terrible chair every day right and i'm built like a barrel so i got people coming hey mitchell i don't need you body shaming me okay now first of all i got body shamed so hard in the comment section that i committed to a diet so i do need that i guess a little bit but right now mitchell i don't need your bullshit Okay, just because that guy is a former middle linebacker and I potentially look bigger than he does, oh. I don't need you coming after me. Okay, I don't need you. Coming. He said beefy though. Beefy to me is a compliment. Like, oh yeah, I feel good. I'm jacked. No, it's not how you meant it. Because then he said I need to get the weight done. Is what he said. So he actually called me fat in the second follow-up sentence that I didn't want to say because it kind of hurts my is ears. Former punter Mitch Berger. No, but if it was Mitch Berger, I think he got popped for some roids at one point, Mitch Berger. Oh, mm. oh. Mitchy. Oh, so Todd Sirebrun, too. Sorry, Mitch, we're not using. It's not him, but his name <laughs> sounds similar to that. Those old punters that got popped for stuff. Wait, what'd they get popped for? I think Sirebrun got like a steroid pop. I think De- Mitch. De- Sirebrun definitely got one. Can you Google if Mitch Berger got oh, one? Yeah. His Wikipedia does not indicate that he was popped. Oh, maybe Mitch Berger didn't then. That's uh, Maybe I thought he was because he was so good. That's... How, how much does that add for a punter? I have no idea. Couldn't even guess. It's an explosion exercise, though. Kicking is an explosive exercise, so I would assume if you get more explosive, it's going to help out. Five, ten yards. Don't you think it does a lot mentally for those guys? Like Major League pitchers, some of them back in the day, they may not have looked like they were in in the greatest shape ever, but I know the guys that were juicing, they loved to try to get their legs really big so they could push off and throw harder. But I think mentally, too, it made them feel like they were were Superman. Like, okay, this this is my thing. I don't, I don't, I've never dabbled in the steroids department, so I'm not 100% sure how it works, like in the, the muscle explosion build thing. But I would assume the placebo effect is a real one in that world as well. Like the placebo effect is that your brain thinks that it took a pill to do something, so your brain is automatically acting as if it was taken care of and you feel better and blah, 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 right? That's the placebo effect. I would assume with some of these guys who take shit that the placebo effect is real as well. Like, oh, I took this, so that means I'm stronger than I was yesterday. I'm this one. When, 
I don't know if it's accurate or not. I would I would assume that you're right. Hey, but if you think it, it's working, then it's working. It's that's all you need, really. That's right. Unless it's well, unless you have terminal cancer or something, maybe. How about Steve Jobs refusing to use any of the modern medicine? Think of carrot juice and celery trying to survive. Didn't work. He tried, though. I mean, hey. But how many people have you heard, though? I'm sure you've had multiple people tell you, hey, I knew old Sally. She was stage seven pancreatic cancer. She juiced carrots for six months straight. Her skin turned actually a hint of orange, and now she beat the cancer. Well, (laughs) I've never heard that story. (laughs) I, I honestly have heard multiple stories like that ohio is awesome still is always will be i mean that is a factual statement there but my great aunt uh genie she was diagnosed with i forget which cancer it was but she took an experimental drug and it prolonged her life like an extra two years or whatever there's so, a lot of people on that like that's huge because all, all these you know how hard it is to bring a drug to market and billions of dollars so there's all these experimental ones where you sign off if you have cancer or something you could take them we do a lot of stuff with the james cancer hospital here in columbus there's so many people that that get on those experimentals that they don't 100 know if they're safe or they're going to work but they work for people it's good at the beginning of this whole quarantine wasn't there some shit being talked about how those are going to get expedited through like rems, rems viridol or whatever yeah they are he's talking about it and now what it's come out that it doesn't really do what it says i don't know what you're talking about what did you say I don't know. Early on in everything, there was something that people were getting mad at Trump because he was mentioning this oh, the hydroxychloroquine that works for something else, but maybe it helps with COVID. And then there's all this talk. I what mean, that's, that? Honestly, our only Malaria? hope right now, I feel oh. like for sports and for everything, the, the COVID is to come up with one of these viral medications that actually work. Has to. College football. Oh. I don't know if you and I have talked about this yet other than just my show. I am starting to get a little gloom and doom mindset for college football. And if you do recall, Kirk Herbstreet, three months ago when this whole thing was starting, came out and he said that he has no idea how college football comes back. And everybody was like, Kirk, stop being a negative fucking asshole. We we were too, by the way. We're like, hey, Kirk, we don't need that right now. Okay, Kirk, just keep that. And Kirk's like, the more and more I read about it, I'm just like, "I I hope it can come back, but I don't see how. I think the NFL will come back. College football, though, with the students and the university and the amount of people that gather from all over the place and how I just don't know. I don't know how college football is going to work. And I hope it does. I've loved, I love college football more last year than I ever have in my entire life because it was the first time I really watched college football for my entire life. I enjoyed the hell out of it, but it feels as if they got a long stretch ahead, AJ. Here's a question for you. Boomer Esiason said this this morning. Mm-hmm. He gave an interesting uh, quote that he knew he was going to get shit for. So he actually led off with saying, I, not in these exact words, but basically said, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to catch a lot of fucking hell for this. <laughs> but with all these guys that are getting COVID-19 on these college university teams, and now you're seeing the NBA guys come out and they're testing positive for COVID-19, I think them testing positive for it now and this is going to sound bad, just like Boomer Sice and basically, I think it's better that they test positive for it now so they can lock down so that in a month from now, whenever season's supposed to start, they've already been through it, right? I don't know if that's what Boomer Sice was saying. I just read the headline. But for me, like these NBA guys are all 18 guys, over 300 guys have been tested. 18 guys have tested positive for the coronavirus. I think that's because the NBA is probably testing every single person in the NBA right now so they have enough time to be locked down for 14 days so then they can enter the bubble, which is supposed to be a COVID-19 free zone. I think we're going to learn more and more people have it now so that they can get that 14-day quarantine. Oh, geez, watch it, buddy. Watch it. 14-day quarantine out of the way before everything starts. Am I wrong in thinking that, you think? 
No, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, that's what the, the rumors, like the people are alleging right now, what Clemson had 27 players test positive or something on their football team. So people are saying, oh, yeah, of course, Nick Saban, all these guys, they want, I mean, you shouldn't say you want them to get COVID, but if they do now and they recover, then you don't have to worry about it during the season, do you? I mean, but we don't know right now if you can come back and get it again. Is that a guarantee that if you, once you have it, it's like, it's like chicken pox? Nobody knows. And there's also people, I think, that have taken the test like two weeks later and they still test positive mm-hmm. for it. And then there's also false positives happening when people don't actually have it. Then there's asymptomatic. They, we don't know fucking shit about this thing. I mean, we're, what, 90-some days into this thing? Mm-hmm. We, don't, we still don't know anything about it. I, I, I'm starting to worry about college football as well. I was talking to a guy this morning, and he's like, what do you think, man? And I was like, what? <laughs> I just don't see college football happening, do you? And I started thinking and talking. like, And as I'm talking out loud, thinking out loud with the dude, I'm like, damn, I don't know. I'm starting to worry myself. Like, it's June 30th right now. The first game scheduled for August 20th. I don't get I don't know. I hope something – I hope there's some kind of breakthrough over the next two, three weeks. Colleges have 100 and some players on each team, plus big schools, obviously, not small schools. We're talking about – Bigger schools. How do so- Oh, no no flamethrower today? Where's the fire? Oh. Where's the fire? Where's the fire? AJ. AJ. We want fire. If this runs out, I'll have to. Hey, big hit on the internet last night. <laughs> you using a flamethrower. That see that that one that I ended up using, which I didn't know was a flamethrower. It's kind of dangerous because before Kinda. Oh really? Before the flame comes your out, fucking ceiling. Just, well, before the flame comes out, when you press it, it just shoots butane out for a while. And then that's why I'm like, oh, I'm squirting butane on my monitor and all over the carpet. I'm like, all right, I got to figure this one out. Well, that's why whenever you start a fire, you don't start spraying on the lighter fluid until after the fire's already started. And you hang on to that thing. Just like what you're doing with your lighter there. That's, that's the happens, right move. Happens the best of us, Age. That's the right move. The best of us. How about when that fire climbs right back up into the bottle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a moment. That's I'm, a problem. I was burning my house down a few that? weeks ago. How do, you, how do people... How do people spit fire and it doesn't come back into their mouth? Oh, 151, you got to have a good <laughs> on mm-hmm. it. You got to get that thing. Mm-hmm. You got to have a good separation between the last bit of Bacardi 151 yeah. and your lips. I believe it or not, I know it's going to be hard to believe. I have done that before. <laughs> you got to breathe out your nose. Was this right after you ran and ran up the wall and did a backflip? That's July 18th, by the way. I still have a clock on it. <gasps> what is? You know I, I have to do a standing backflip and a backflip off the wall, I think, July 18th, because on June 18th, yeah. I've said one month from now, I'll be able to do it again. Can't wait. It's halfway there. The wall thing might be tough, but I'm getting to the weight where the standing backflip should be no problem. The wall backflip is going to take a lot of commitment, a lot, of, a lot of trust in myself and the wall, but I've been watching these little fucking parkour homies on the internet. I think I got it figured out. Here we go. Hey, what's going on? So, what, DeAndre Jordan? He tests positive for COVID, and now he just—he's out for the—he's saying he's out for the season, right? He's on the Nets, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I would assume that Nets players are even higher in the chances of backing out due to Kyrie Irving being very against it, Kevin Durant being very against it, and I would assume that their team not really standing that much of a chance in the East that they're also going to get out of it. Let alone the uh, the social unrest and all that stuff. But if you test positive, Adam Silver said that we will hold nobody in bad light if they choose not to go. I think some guys will get tested positive, like DeAndre Jordan, say, no, I'm not going to do it. I already tested positive, even though it's supposed to be out of you in 14 days. And we don't know if you get it. There's no antibodies. But I think there's certain teams that are potentially looking to get out of this however they can, if we just want to call it how it is. Um, But I think there's a lot of guys that are going to get tested positive for it, go into lockdown, and then send their asses into the biodome down there in Orlando. I think it's kind of a mixed – I think it's a mixed bag here of what's going to happen. I want to see what happens with other athletes. I saw Ryan Zimmerman for the Nationals is sitting out this year. He said he has 
three young kids, a newborn, and his mom is has mm-hmm. multiple sclerosis mm-hmm. or whatever, so she is at high risk, and he's just going to sit the season out. He just announced that, I guess. He's just sitting out the entire thing. Yep. Yeah, he said he's not. He he can't play. He has too many for family reasons. He just has too many things against it, and he can't he can't do it. He's like I. He said I'm not retiring. Definitely not retiring. I guess he's on a one year deal, making like two mil. So uh, I don't know what his plan is. So maybe he wants to go play for somebody else once this all clears up. That's insane. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was happening in baseball. Yeah, a couple guys have come out and said that they're not going to play for whatever reason. That guy from the um, that one team that has two ACLs, he's going to be up for his contract, Bertans. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting decision. And I had a reaction that probably didn't make Bertans happy. But allegedly, Bertans, now granted, there's a lot of other things that could potentially fall into it, but the way the story was being shaped when it first was announced, okay? So when when the story was first shaped, it was that Bertans was sitting out because he's already had two ACLs surgeries. He um, is up for free agent after this year for the first time, so he is choosing not to go play in Orlando because of that. Now, that makes me think, if I'm a team, that this guy, because of his two ACLs, is scared to play eight games in Orlando, why would I give this guy $200 million, right? That's like my first, just, and he's an assassin, I guess, as a three-pointer. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. a sniper. He's a, a, a sniper of a shooter, but in my eyes, I'm like, hey, this guy doesn't want to play eight games because of his chance of his knees. What would I want to give him $100-some million for? But then, as I got educated and started looking, like during quarantine, how much has this guy been working? What if you have an IT band that's just a little bit tighter for some reason? Like I could see why people in that situation would sit out, but my initial knee-jerk reaction is, well, I'm not going to fucking pay that guy. Then if he doesn't even want to play eight games, I'm not going to, like, he, well, what am I going to pay him to play, what, 82 games or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. This guy yeah. doesn't even want to play eight games. But then there's also that business side you got to think about. Zimmerman, I assume, not only his family, but there's a business side to it. There's a lot of business to these decisions being made too that I think, I have to be a lot more understanding of whenever I first hear him. Oh, oh, come on, I got a sports show. I got to talk here to get your fucking ass back out there. <laughs> I also have to do the old, like, okay, there's business, there's health, there's life, there's the world that we're in. I mean, there's a lot to happen here. And I'd assume each individual case is just that. It's a known individual case. Well, don't you think this Bertans character is looking at it like, hey, why would I go? It's basically like preseason. Why am I going to go risk my future playing eight preseason games? Well, it's postseason. I know, but does it do those Wait, eight games mean much for him? I gotta be more understanding. They're probably not gonna win it all anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And I guess he had an incredible year yeah. up into the quarantine break. Yeah. So his stock is at its absolute highest it could be right now. So in a business sense, the only thing his stock could do is potentially go down in these eight games and his team I don't think is gonna make a run no, at this. No, it's the Wizards. They're like what, five and a half out. Yep. And so then- that is a very difficult decision in a place to be in. But it's the same thing as like senior quarterbacks or bowl games mm-hmm. if they're gonna get drafted. Mm-hmm. And I have always said I've never been in a position to be a starting quarterback ever in my life. Should have been a maybe a one game or two after watching the outcome, but there I've never been in this position either to get a hundred million dollars. I'm always like, hey, let's play with your team guy. Like, I'm always like, hey, let's do this, let's do it. But if you're a guy who had a, the best year of your life going into a contract year, and now there's eight games in Orlando in a biodome that you might feel not as prepared for, I could see why you wouldn't want to do it. But boy, for me, it's like eight more games. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go put up 30 in those eight games. They're going to pay me $400 million. That is my I thought, and that is why I'm an idiot. So I understand 
I understand why Bertans potentially thinks the other way. What's up, Diggs? Uh, I was going to say, so they would probably have to go 8-0 to get in, and then he's made $15 million in his career, and it's projected that he's going to make 15 $18 million a year on his new contract. Oh, yeah. Dang. But they would really have to go 8-0 just to make the well, post have a chance? They're five and a half out, so... Unless yeah. the Nets and lost other teams every game. would have to oh, lose. I get it, then. I get it. I think it's still a tough decision, and I don't think you're dumb for having that opinion on that. Pat. I, I'm with you. I would want to play, too. But if you sit there and look at it in the grand scheme of his career and how much money he's made compared to what he's the ability he has to to make more down the line, like I guess it's not worth it for him. They are uh, plus seven fifty to get to make to be into the playoffs, like to get into the those playoffs. are good bet then, right? No, <laughs> not without John Wall. No, not if, without John Wall and their snipers not playing. I think it's. You put that thing up at plus 75,000. <laughs> so we don't have a guy that can shoot or dribble on the fucking team? Wow, it's going to be tough in basketball. They have, the, they have the worst odds of anyone in the in the uh, bubble of winning the entire thing. So I guess I get why Bertans isn't going. Yeah. I guess. I get, but it goes get, against everything that I... You get I, both sides. I mean, you get, I get your side. Too. No, I, underst- your original side. I understand both sides, but how I sit on the thing is yeah. like... Do you think there's any chance that, uh, like, even a DeAndre Jordan, probably not pertains, but they'll be like, you know what? I said I wasn't going to play. You know, it's it's July 10th. They need me. I'm going to. Hold on, though. What, what happens if it, a week into the thing? What if it's a week into the thing and a lot of the players are hearing from other players what it's like down there? Like, hey, not too bad. They're seeing, like, the press conferences, so the social unrest and social injustices are being spotlighted. They say they're putting Black Lives Matter on inside of each pane on each side. What happens if... A week into that thing, some players who said no before whatever reason, their questions, yeah. their questions get answered in a positive way by the players that are down there, and they decide to go join the team. Can they do that? What, do they have to just get tested on the way in? Or are the rosters set whenever they go down there? I bet there's a date when the rosters are final and yep. set. But how do you? How does that work? Say you have three guys go down. You're going to have to bring other players in. Do you have guys like alter, alternates that are sitting in a little secondary bubble somewhere quarantining before? I doubt you can just go back and take one test and join the team. I'm sure if you go, there's a mandatory 10 or 14 days you got to hang out before they let you play. The, consider this my tryout. <laughs> the NBA said they're not testing. You're good. You don't have to worry about that. What? Oh! 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 I am swish. Are you kidding me with that? Hello, Professor Meets Allen Iverson. <laughs> the professor's still doing it. I saw some clips of him oh, going yeah. to some like prisons and playing guys in one-on-one games. You ever see a Spider-Man? He dressed up in full Spider-Man outfit and just showed up like Billy Ho at these outdoor courts and just dominated everybody. How does he make money? Does he get sponsored or what? His YouTube is massive. His yeah. YouTube is oh, yeah. massive. He, he, Good for him. He always puts it through your legs, too. I mean... You would think does, people would he ever get, Does anyone dominate the professor? Does he ever get, like, I doubt we'll see the footage, but does anyone just kill him? Hot Did sauce. you ever go to those and one games? I never went. I used to watch a lot of the videos. Well, the videos are much, much better. The, um, the live games are tough. Live games are tough because. Well, are they just trying crazy stuff and have creating turnovers all game? And then, but once or twice it's crazy and everybody falls down and freaks out. No holding. Bingo. <laughs> That is exactly it. The, the MC guy, I forget his name. He was a big part of it. Rest in peace. I think he passed away. Escalade? No. Oh, no. No, Escalade did pass away as well. Rest in peace, Escalade. Right. But I was a big and one guy there for a while. And oh, then yeah. it came to Pittsburgh and I went to the game. Crisscross. Boy, there's a lot of bad basketball. And then there's really good basketball. And then there's a lot more bad basketball. Then there's really good basketball. Wait, and then who did they play against? They played against some local street ballers. 
So it's like the and one guys come play against the local guys, and if they were good enough, they would join the and one yep. team. That's how the professor started, actually. He was a local tryout, and then he ended up getting on the squad or whatever because I think he and Hot Sauce had respect for each yeah. other, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. Well said. But Isn't boy. Hot sauce the one in the NBA? What's that? Didn't Hot Sauce get in the NBA and play? Skip to my loo, dog. No, my bad. Skip, skip. Have a little respect. Uh, Who did I play against? Bone Collector. I played against somebody. He fouled me shooting a three. No big deal. What was it for? How did you play against him? Like just a pickup game? Um, Each year, the Black Expo happens here in Indianapolis. It's the largest uh, black expo in the country. It is a massive thing. I got invited to play in a celebrity basketball game. It was me, Steven Jackson. Um, Oh, boy. A singer, a really good singer I've never heard of before. I don't know. I was the only Caucasian guy on my team. So anytime I tried to get on the court, I kind of got like bullied out. You know what I mean? Like sub. Okay. I walk on and five people walk on. So that's six people. Okay. I'll back up. I will. So I didn't get a lot of time on. So then when I got on the court, you know, I wanted to make the most of it. Let's get these points. Okay. Let's rack up these points. T.Y. Hilton was on the other team. Uh, some other guys were on the other team. There was a lot of crowd there. This is my first time getting invited to a celebrity basketball game. I was in some shape. So, and I was wearing Steph Curry's uh, lawn cutting shoes, you know, those nurse curries that he put out. So I was ready to go. Okay. I was ready to go. And I get on, and I think the first time down, I knew, I knew him from the N1 shows when I was, I forget which guy it was. I think it was Bone Collector. So he gets into the paint, and I try to do like a quick strip, and I foul him. Okay, first like first time on the court, like I foul him right in the thing. He shoots two free throws, but I could tell by the way he looked at me that he was not happy about what happened. Right? <laughs> he was not happy about. It. I didn't mean to. I was trying to get a quick strip because yeah. there was like two minutes left in a half. I just got on. I was trying to strip that thing, pass it hopefully to Stephen Jackson. And then Stephen knew that I was wet from three. He was going to feed me back, and I was going to knock down a three. Like that was in my head. I'm like, boom, outlet three. We're back. Let's play some defense. So. I accidentally foul him hard too. I mean, it was, it was Good a hard, smack. it was a hard foul. And at that point, uh, I'm the only white guy on the court at this point, right? And potentially in the whole area there, I look like it, just an absolute dickhead. I'd assume I, I, I had to look bad. So on the way back, okay, they feed me the ball. All of a sudden, they switch out. Now he's playing defense on me. And I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. What, what am I going to do, though? This guy has literally faced off against every great street baller in the history. So I hit him. I had a little bit of this. I'm a bigger body, you know? Long hair with the big body. So I hit a step back three, right? I just try to make some space. As I'm shooting, I mean, it's a foul on my arm, okay? Hard foul. And uh, I was like, okay, no big deal, no big deal. So now I got to go shoot a free throw. And Three free throws, right? Huh? Three free throws if it was a step back three. Oh yeah, but I didn't play high school basketball, so I'm not like a guy that has like the free throw routine locked in. Like that's not like <laughs> first one almost air ball hits oh. the bottom of the rim. Okay. What was your routine though? Did you how many times did you dribble? Oh, did you, three, I like, did, I did did you like try three, to look comfortable? I think I did like a one, two, three, like maybe a set to make it look like I really knew what I was doing. I should have done maybe like the full fucking thing, <laughs> but I did that in the first one. I hit, it hits the rim and just goes straight like underneath it, right? So I got Ty. I think he's on the bench going, oh. Oh no! Oh no! Don't airball a fucking free throw! And then the the N one guy's like, knew he couldn't shoot or something like that. Like, there's like oh, a couple little things oh, going no. on down there. Talking so shit. then I knocked down the next two. Obviously, excuse me. Poom poom splash. I think I picked up like four boards, maybe four points, Ooh. and played a total of a minute and a half in that game. Sufficient. Pretty good. Not too. Shabby. I can understand how uh, 
Mr. Bone Collector would be upset that he's trying to drive to the hole and, and give the, the fans a show and a charity event, and you decide to shut that down because everybody loves to watch people shoot free throws in entertaining charity events. No easy yeah. buckets. doesn't matter where we're at. No easy buckets. No uh, easy buckets. Anybody can get it, dude. What are you talking? What do you you're, want from me? It, you're also, a gritty Rust Belt dude. I get yeah, it, man. Could you imagine if I stripped Bone Collector? And I don't even know if it was Bone Collector, by the way. I still don't... <laughs> I'm still Bone Collector was that a, a an and one character? Was Bone Collector? I don't know. If that was one. You don't know the Bone Collector, dude. Really? No. Well, do you even know what and one was? Do you know what they did? Yeah, I apologize to, to Mr. Bone Collector, but I guess <laughs> Hot Sauce, Skip Timalu, the Professor, those are the guys. There he is. Okay. Say sorry to him. I, am I do sorry, apologize, too. Mr. Collector. That's my fault. I should have <laughs> known. I do. I do recognize the face now that I see it. And I would like to follow up on an apology for fouling him. Too, to be honest, it was the first ten seconds I was in. You know, I tried to get in a couple other times. I kind of got booted down the bench. Was it Spider? I don't think so. Was, was it Circus? Who, who coached you? AKA from Fifty. Is this the N one? Worm, thing? Baby Shack, High Riser, oh, Polo, Easy J, the Professor, obviously. Skip to my Lou, Shane Buzzy, and oh, the Bone Buzzy. Was this the roster from the game he was in, or you just read the N one roster? No, yeah. that's just the N one roster. You have some fucking respect for the. You didn't know that was Dan one? Uh, no, no, I didn't know. I mean, oh, how am I supposed to know if they didn't all come to play in the game? Oh, boy. How am I supposed to this know? This guy doesn't even know Diggs is right here. Pat, I think Diggs is right because Diggs, he's reading off just random and one players, but was the, the professor wasn't even in this game you were at. Well, there's only he? like 12 of them. So no, let's... the professor wasn't in the game. What are you talking about? This is the Harlem Globetrotters, the and one team, basically. Which I went to one of their games. Whoa, it was terrible too. Yeah, not oh, really. Yeah, how was that? I'm always curious about it. Just like the was it terrible? I have an assist though. I do have an assist with the Harlem Globetrotters. I punted a ball to a guy that was standing on somebody else's shoulder and they dunked it. Oh, That'd be cool. I'd watch it. that. It was not sick with it. Was he at the game though? Are we looking up just No, that that was the official uh in one live street ballers tour that I read there. Yeah. Who was that? your coach, Pat? Who coached your team? Amp Harris. Uh, he's a local promoter. Reggie Wayne coached the other team. He did oh, not ask man. me to be on his team. Reggie. Mm. Did not ask me. So in 2011, 2012 for the Indy one, the professor was there. Hold on, I got a picture. It wasn't the professor. That was not the year I was there. I got it. Do you know the year you were there? Mm, uh, I have no idea. A couple years ago. Three years ago? Four years ago? 2016? I fouled him so hard, though. I should not have done that. <laughs> I'm not a fouler either. I don't even touch the paint, by the way. I don't even, I'm not even in the paint. Get me out of here. You got to let him know. My guy ran through, though, at just about the same time. He shook somebody, so I had to. Like, I was there. I was like, am I going to strip an and one guy right now? First two seconds on the Of course I am. And then I should have known I was not. I should have known. I, I mean, fine. you weren't trying to foul him. You were trying to pick his pocket and yoke it at the other end. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, it did feel as if that hoop was at about nine and a half feet. Oh, it was Reggie Wayne and Ampares? Yeah. Yeah, I found the picture of you guys at the end of the game or the beginning of the game. Go ahead and put it up, or I said Pat it's very sweaty, or did he not get much action? Uh, that's the group there. You will perfect see. picture. Who did the lighting? It's perfect. <laughs> I'm right there with the sleeveless. You see me, yeah. by the way, oh, yeah. in the red. Where? In, right there. That's no, me. Man, you look young. Thank you. I got my hair cut. That's kind of all, all I need to do is cut my hair. I was very thin at this point, too. I was in good shape. I think this was right before a comedy tour, maybe. Is that the professor right here? No, there was no. a there was a dunk specialist, though, in there. He was a white guy on the other team, but okay. he only came in like during the breaks, and he just took off from the foul line. He was next level. Yeah. That guy. Were these guys from... All from Indy or no? No, a lot of people travel in. The Black Expo here in Indy is insane. I mean, it is. Yeah. 
massive. A lot of things, a lot of charity, obviously, a lot of panels, events. It is huge here. And that that game was uh, always every single year I was invited one time. One time I was invited. About a guy. How are these, how are, like, like you said, like the, how are convention centers in the big hotels that host these giant conferences every year for companies that bring in 2,000 people for a national sales meeting? How do they survive? Because when are these meetings in these conferences ever going to happen? Indianapolis is a convention city too. So yeah, Indianapolis I've is- I've been there. I, I think they had the Big Ten Media Days there before when I, I've worked there. Mm-hmm. Huge part of our city's economic, everything. And the city is built to be a convention city. I think I've talked to you about this before. The, that's why the Super Bowl goes off without a hitch here. That's why the uh, Big Ten tournament happens here. The Final Fours, everything that happens in Indianapolis is because the city is literally built for guests to come, stay in hotels, walk everywhere, and have good restaurants, everything like that. The convention centers every single week bring in thousands and thousands of people. You never know who the hell is in town, and you're 100% right. I, I think the city is normally the one in charge of the convention center, right? Normally it's the city, so it's the city losing money, I'd assume, but I don't know when these conventions start back up, which in turn, I don't know when the city starts back up because a lot of the city revolves around hosting and other people coming in from out of town. It is a massive ordeal that we're going through in here in Indianapolis, and I would assume in a lot of other places as well. Well, the city brings in that the, the huge like hotel tax, like a certain amount from every room that is is paid for goes to the city like that's so much tax dollars that aren't coming in right now and that's like, like it makes me take a cincy or of indy of uh, like chicago any place that you have vegas. vegas i mean how many companies go out to vegas every single year for their huge meetings you can learn a lot by the way b- about the people that run the companies if they have the uh, convention in vegas well i'm sure they like good shows but um the nfl combine tried to fuck over indianapolis too they moved it to prime time yeah. So that took away from all the bar and restaurant time that they normally spend here. So normally when the NFL spring break comes to town, which is the combine, all of our bars and restaurants are rented out by teams and it's massive. You got special teams coaches meeting here. Then there's an after party here. Then there's a, a social gathering here. There's this here and they moved it to prime time. So a lot of our restaurants and stuff that normally get rented out throughout the entire evening, they kind of got swindled on that thing too by the NFL. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You just brought up the combine, too. With uh, the question marks around the college football, do you think the supplemental draft will kind of be growing? Or So I didn't even really think about the supplemental draft until Michael Lombardi brought it up for the Patriots. He said, wait until you see what the Patriots do with the supplemental draft, which I didn't even know the supplemental draft was a real thing. But if college football is up, I knew it was a real thing, but I didn't know teams prepared for it. Like I didn't know that was something you actually planned for. If the college football season is up in the air, and you're a senior, not a junior, because I think I'm not sure true juniors can leave anyways. If they were to leave right now, if they knew, I think it has to be three years out of high school. But if you're a senior and you have a chance to go to the NFL, do you think you turn to the supp- – when is the supplemental draft? Has it already happened? I think it's July, right? Isn't do you the- turn to the supplemental draft if you're a senior with a shot and say, hey, since I'm not I'm not going to wait around an entire year, do you take a year to train or do you try to get in now? That's all like a – for you, because you're a top ten pick, top five pick. Uh, did you leave early? No, I stayed all four. Noble. Wow. Hey, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than being a senior on a college football team. It means you're committed to the team. That's a lot of what a lot of coaches say. But if you going into your senior year, I assume everybody thought big swinging dick AJ Hawk's gonna be a first round draft pick. I assume that everybody thought that going into your senior year. If you were looking at the season, 
And there's a chance it's not going to happen, which I think college, I think the NFL is safe. I think college football, there's a big old question mark. If you're A.J. Hawk, do you think about trying to get into this supplemental draft to get in the league a year earlier, or do you use this year like the Bosa kid did and train for an entire year and get ready for next year? What, what, would, how, what would your approach be, you think? It would be a tough decision, I, I guess. I mean, Real. I think if I went back to my 21-year-old brain when I was in school, I would absolutely stay there and be like, all right, whatever, I'll be – whenever we do play again, uh, I'll be ready. I'm going to stay in school. But now, 36 years old, looking back, yeah, I'd have to give it some thought. Think about, okay, like when is this going to clear up? How long? Like I'm going to have a full year off. I'm going to be another – that much older once I do go into the league, and I know how teams view that as well. That's not great for your second, third – if you want a second, third contract. I'd have to give it some thought, but I mean, if I was when I was in college, I'm sure I would have probably just hunkered down and, and did my thing. The thing about those distractions too. If there's no college football for a year, those college. What do you kids, do? Are you a nor- you're a normal student for the whole year? But are the student? What are the students? The students are just at home, right? Because I don't think students are coming back to universities. That's why the university college football is probably not going to happen because they don't know what to do with students on campus. Because that seems like that's just going to be a spread fest for COVID nineteen. But are we at the point now where we're just expecting like yo? Everybody's probably going to get it. Like I don't. I don't know when that is. Is it a race to to herd immunity? Is that what they're trying to do? They're going to eventually try to do, you think? I have no idea about any of that, but I do have a sneaky suspicion that I think everybody's going to get COVID-19 at some point. And I know this is going off of nothing. I know absolutely nothing. We just got to hope, I guess, that the strand isn't as strong as the initial strand. It just took humans out. But I don't know enough about enough to do this, but I feel like as these numbers go up, the world's shutting back down again. It's like, are you going to try to lock people back up in their houses again? Like, I don't know if that's going to, I don't know if that's going to work. My brother's in college right now, and he said they will be on campus this fall as of now. Central, he, Central Michigan University. So not, not small, but not huge. They are, they're planning on them being back on campus? Yes. As yeah, of I've now. I've heard that from other kids, too, that they plan on going back. That's what they're telling them. Well, they were planning on going back early uh, so that they could be done by Thanksgiving. Yeah. Because in the winter, mm-hmm. COVID-19 yeah, can run wild on you, but brother. That's, but isn't that – we don't even know if that's true right now because <laughs> all don't. the we places don't. where it's spiking supposedly, it's very hot. Like down Summer south. sun. Summer uh-huh. sun kills coronavirus. Yep. 34 minutes, except for in Florida in the summer and in Arizona in the summer. Very interesting. There are also need, some schools. Are, are people scrambling to, to buy tanning beds now if they hear that? <laughs> Smart. Mm-hmm. I have one. I can't get in it. It just fucking burns me. <laughs> that thing might be set on Ecuador. <laughs> there were also, also some schools that were charging full tuition for online-only courses. Oh, yeah. I would never expect the Ponzi scheme like fucking universities <laughs> to do something like that ever in my entire life. You probably love college, huh? Because you're a Ohio State guy. What a, love what about it? everything just the thought of college no i wouldn't i i don't want to go sit in class anymore absolutely not i did that i had to do that every day for four years that was rough but no i had a good time you went to class every day for four years you went to class every day for four years yes i've told you before they checked my classes that guy would come back and make sure i was there sitting there you towards the front paying attention absolutely you never missed one class I, I missed a class or two, but you know when I started when I missed a few was when I was a senior. My time I already was done playing my senior season, Top five and days. I was still in school. And they would like they kind of made a joke. I, I was going to travel to visit teams before the draft, and I had to miss a few classes. And I remember like Coach Tressel's buddy, he used to check a lot of the classes who I'm tight with, would like 
tried to play a joke on me like I was in trouble from Coach Tressel for missing the class when I was going to visit with like the Lions or something after my football career was already over. I would say, hey, sweater vest, come over here. Come over here, sweater vest. Let me smack you in the fucking mouth. (laughs) Be the number five overall pick. You keep checking these classes. That's good. I'll buy the damn class here in about two months. Obviously, I was done. I was done playing football on you know for Ohio State, but they were just messing with me. But yeah, I had to go, man. I mean, some guys maybe could try to slide around it, but no, they checked our classes. They made sure you were there. AJ, how was that visit I had with the Lions? Zero online classes too. How was that visit with the Lions you just talked about? Oh. You know what, Pat? Who was with me when I visited Lions? Ernie Sims, and they drafted Ernie oh. that year. <laughs> I love Ernie. I, I ate lunch with Ernie in the Lions facility. It was great. Big how Ernie. cool was he? He was a wild man I, coming out of college, wasn't he? Yeah, I saw Ernie at some of those like uh, kind of postseason award shows in college too, and stuff. I loved him. He was always a great time. He. He grew up a lot before he got to the Colts because he went to, from Detroit to the Eagles, I believe, then Eagles to the Colts. And now he's at FIU, I believe. FAU. He's a coach. Yeah, he's a coach. Good guy. I Probably love still him. runs a, a 4 3 40. If I had to guess, if I had to guess, he could still run sub 4 5. <laughs> I would lock, oh, I would guarantee he could run sub 4 5 right now if he had to. Oh, I'm sure he would. He'd be offended if you said otherwise. Anybody? I wasn't on my nah, I think Not that me. Sounds about right. Oh, I never. I was like a speed eighty-eight on Madden. He could fly. Mm-hmm. Nope. Hey, did you have Cormier on earlier? Oh, he was awesome. DC? He's the man. I think he's all. How how'd it go? I'm going to go back and watch it eventually. He's he's working out fourteen times a, a week. He did say fourteen times a day to us at the beginning of the conversation, and I said, "Excuse me." He said fourteen times a week. He'll wrestle in the morning with a bunch of animals, and then he'll do kickboxing at night. And he's he really coaches wrestling. He coaches like his kids on wrestle, like he's a wrestling coach as well. Yeah, he's a stud. This is his last fight. I guess everybody know knew that except for me. So when I asked him that, he said, "Yeah, this is it. August fifteenth against Stipe." He says he feels very good. He said he's doing everything that you're supposed to. Do. This is the first time he said he's doing everything that he possibly can to focus on his fight. Nutritionist focus training everything because this is his last fight and he wants to make sure it's his best fight so he was awesome i am a massive fan of him after that conversation not that i wasn't before i think he's a great commentator i think he's very well spoken he knows a lot of things he makes the environment and atmosphere of the fights that he calls a great one i think he's very good at his microphone i actually told him i think he's the best athlete commentator currently going i mean tony romo just got broken off but if you look around athletes doing commentating there's nobody that reads a room or a moment with you know insight and everything like that like daniel cormier uh so i enjoyed him a lot as a person but after talking to him i fucking love that guy and i met stipe in columbus so now i'm very torn i crowd surf with that guy <laughs> yeah the trilogy fight man i mean he's obviously doing all of this because he he says it's his last fight but he's also fighting stipe and they've traded you know dc won the first one stipe won the second now they get to we get to see what happens so it's on fight island does he have any worries about going there does he know what it's going to be like it's not on fight island it's not no, really? he knew oh, at the Apex Center. Yeah, he knew about. Yeah, it's in the Apex Center, which he said there's two and a half feet per square that are shortened, by the way. And there's eight of them or whatever. You do the math. Yep. So that's 20 feet, I do believe, off of the rat. So he said that he's going to wrestle like there's going to. He said it plays well for him. He said a lot of people. He said something in another interview. He's like single leg, single leg, single leg, single leg. Just mm-hmm. wait for it. It's coming. He told Stipe this is exactly what's happening in Trilogy, I guess. Stipe probably knows everything about that but it's the american fighters that are fighting in vegas the foreign fighters are the ones fighting on fight island out there at yes island but it was we asked that question we were very much and he knew about the fight 
with Stipe about what two months before anybody else yeah yeah he already knew about that their first fight down in Jacksonville he actually had his trainer come down I think in the octagon for him to hit some mitts to kind of get a feel back because he hasn't fought in a year okay this, well Stipe had an eye situation that kept him out for a long time it's gonna be an awesome fight but yeah, DC like he has whenever he does stop fighting I mean he sh they should put him on almost every pay-per-view they have I think DC's awesome and he and Rogan and Anik are a great trio together relatable I told this to um, I told this to DC. I said I don't want you to take any offense to this, but you have a relatable body, right? Like he's <laughs> he's like Gary Brackett, you know. Like Gary Brackett had a relatable body. Nobody knows how Gary Brackett was able to do what Gary Brackett was able to do for over a decade in the NFL, middle linebacker. Nobody understands how Daniel Cormier goes against these physically imposing monsters. But Daniel Cormier said he loves that. Like. He, his whole drive, he said he's super competitive, obviously, like every professional athlete, but and we had a whole conversation about how that can be a bit annoying, like being super competitive is a bit annoying at times. People don't really understand that. But he said he likes seeing these people who are just physically imposing and monsters and everybody's going crazy in the moment. He says he likes thinking about how I'm going to make them look so normal. I'm going to make that person look so normal by the time I'm done. Like that's what gets him going. And I think he is... I gained a lot of respect for him in that conversation today. Yeah. He is a cool dude, man. He talks it up. He talks up his dad bod and talks about when he, he wears sweatpants and pull him up past his belly button and tuck his shirt in. He, he, he's, he leans into the character. He's a giant professional wrestling fan, too. Oh, yeah. He cut a promo. He talked about cutting a promo on Brock Lesnar and Brock Lesnar cutting one back and then the deal couldn't get done. And then he said over, too, which is a wrestling term for people that are loved by the fans. Over. Yeah, he dropped a couple wrestling terms in the middle of our conversation. Rub. He always talks about the rub. Oh, you got to give a little rub. A AJ Hawk's been giving me quite a big rub in Ohio, by the way. Ohio was not all for me due to uh, me and Urban Meyer having a beef for a little bit that has been settled, by the way. Uh, but you've given me quite a rub in Ohio, Bob. Great. I'll give you a rub anytime. Whoa. Oh, hey, now. I learned a lot about those rubs this weekend from an <laughs> interesting from who? guy. From who? Interesting guy. You learned about what kind of rubs? This guy is this. So I've I've heard of guys that get body gurus and shit like that. You know, like there's guys that get body gurus. Yeah, those guys are awesome. They're all so good. <laughs> <laughs> Not I that there's about, not some good ones out there, but there's a bunch of turds. I heard of some. I heard some stories about a, a body guru that showed up, and it was just, just next level, man. There's people scamming these professional athletes out of a lot of money, acting as if they're fixing their body. But it all goes back to that placebo effect. It all goes back to that placebo effect where if you feel as if your muscles are getting more flexible and pliable and all that shit, probably makes you think you're invincible until you just sniper poom Don thought that guy rubbed that out. No, he did not even touch it. Well, I'm not. I, for the record, though, I want to make sure I'm not talking about Dwight Freeney's body gurus uh, that wear the, uh, wear uh, the uh, gi on the airplane. If you're wearing a gi on an airplane, you got to have some level of either delusion or self confidence that I have to respect. <laughs> You just directly went after Dwight Freeney right there. Sure Not did. even close. Yeah, you did. What did you do? You did cold tubs? No. You did not do cold tubs? Very, very rarely. So that didn't. thing had a layer of just oil and gross body things floating on top of it. You know, they clean it every day. No, you got to shower before you get in the tub. got to shower before you get in the tub. Yeah, that happens. Everyone follows that rule, don't they? <laughs> Signs everywhere. I've never seen a single person shower before they get in there. But... If you go in a cold tub, you need to have the toesies thing. The thing on the yeah. toes. Those help. Oh, my God. Like, people do those cold as balls interviews with Kevin Hart, and they just get in there. 
And I'm like, I was a cold tub. Like I would go in cold tub 15 minutes after every single time I did anything. I, I don't even, it just made my lower half feel good. It made me feel spry. And like, I wouldn't even do, I, I was too lazy to do the flush where you go in the hot tub, then a cold tub, five minutes, three minutes. I was too lazy to do that. So I just said, oh, fuck it. I'm gonna sit in a cold tub for 15 minutes. But I watched this cold as balls conversation, which I think I would fare well in, right? I think I would be able to do well in it. But there's not a single person that puts the toe thing on. And I'll tell you what, that would get me. I would not be able to get in there if it wasn't for the little toe thingy that you put on. Someone it. needs to tell. I, I think they probably just aren't aware of it. Someone needs to, to send some to Kevin Hart. Like, hey, this is for you and your guest. I think it'll make it a lot better. This will make a world of difference. It really, just little neoprene toe covers. That's oh, all it is. Vinatieri had this OG move where he would take a Gatorade towel, dunk it in the hot tub. Then he would put it down, obviously, through his midsection. And then he'd get in a cold tub. Yeah. Smart. He had like a diaper on of hot water, <laughs> and then he'd get in there. Very smart, but I'm too lazy to do it, right? I'm too lazy to do it. So I would just give me the toe things. I'm putting those on there. Give me my phone, and I'm going to sit in here for 15 minutes, and it's going to be a terrible four minutes, and it's going to be a terrible exit. But from those, you know, 11 minutes there, I'm going to be okay. I can't believe you didn't cold tub. You didn't tour at all? You didn't cold tub? Did you stretch? Yeah, when they, I stretched when the coaches made us. I was a big stretcher either. I didn't understand it. I mean, I, I wish at times, I wish I was a little bit more flexible. I'm not like crazy yeah. stiff. I can touch my toes and everything. Oh, don't do that? it. Don't Flexibility, do it. dude. Don't rip your pants, man. They're already ripped, dude. That's why you buy ripped pants. You see this? You ever been able to do that? Yeah, your knee's bent. No. <laughs> How much were those jeans? Uh, American Eagle, probably. 75. Nah, probably 45 bucks, 50 bucks. Yeah. That's it, really? 55 American Eagle is no free Well, yeah, if you're going to American Eagle, well, a lot of those jeans, though, that are, that are sold with all the holes in them, they're like $1,400. Like, try explaining that to some World War II vet. <laughs> he was all of a sudden came back. And like, hey, man. He's like, hey, you got holes all over your jeans. Like, yeah, man, well, I got a good deal. They were only 1600 bucks. Originally, 2500 I Explain wonder. to that guy. I do wonder what... These jeans cost now that I'm thinking about. <laughs> they have to be because I'm big. This is jeans like a are size. expensive, man. For guys, like jeans are are super. They're way too expensive. I feel like. I mean, there's only a couple good ones. Page is good. Oh, Those yep. page pants they are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I'll wear page. I need like the male yoga pants. Everybody's seen my legs now at this point. They're probably the biggest on earth. No big deal. But I I have to have jeans and pants that stretch. American Eagle. I have found that their denim is the best flex denim for me. But you're I, I'm a size 40, right? I wear a size 40 pants because of this ass. I would assume that that is a little bit more expensive. These are probably $100 at least. These. Yeah, probably. Uh, I'm on the site now. I'll find it. Good sale going on. Six percent off everything. Their jean shorts, though, are the best by far. Not even a close second. American English shorts. Best. Yeah, they're nice. You know, I, I, uh, I was supposed to have some jean shorts down in Florida. We took, like, a family picture when we were there on Friday in the, I guess we had matching outfits somewhat as a family, and the kids were wearing jean shorts and the shirt, Aww. like black shirts. I didn't have a black shirt, and I don't own a pair of jean shorts. Oh. So my wife scrambled and tried to get me some down there, and she was not successful. She couldn't find any jean shorts. Pat, those ones originally 60 probably on sale for either 45 or 35 right now. Everything I just said, 45 bucks. Yeah, uh-huh. okay. The cheapest good. jeans you can find. Well, that's what I do. That's what good I for do. You. I wear shirts that we either sell or I get sleeveless hoodies that i've accrued over the years mm-hmm. and i american eagle or page pants that's just where you're gonna find me at it's where you're gonna find me hey what happened with zeke what did he say he said i'm faded i'm 
I believe at the end of a Twitch stream, and then he said, "Oh, I didn't even turn this off." And then Sports Illustrated said that he was high. Then now he's faded like, "Could mean drunk." Faded could definitely mean drunk. Faded could definitely mean drunk. Bitch, I'm faded. 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 I'm faded. 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 What did Sports Illustrated say? They said that he was high. Yeah, they read an article titled "Zeke Elliott Admits to Being High." Well, okay, so what if he is? But they don't know that. They're that's. I mean, the, uh, yeah, he didn't say that. 10-4, who cares if he is? But I would assume that Zeke does not want the NFL to think that he is currently high because they can test if there is a uh, probable cause or something of that. There's some in the substance of abuse policy. Now, granted, I don't know it now. They've changed it with the new CBA and over the years. But there is a probable cause testing thing for street drugs if something like this was to happen. So I would assume that's why Zeke is like, Sports Illustrated, go. No, I'm drunk. Get out of here. I don't need to be tested. Now, granted, I assume Zeke would pass that test with flying colors, but peeing in front of somebody when you don't have to is an uncomfortable situation. Or he was high and was just pissed off that Sports Illustrated said he was high. One or the other. Yeah, his lawyer, Mr. Frankie Salzano, oh, said oh. he's dead serious about filing a lawsuit. That's real, though. SI. That's it's a hundred percent because of what I just said. Nobody wants to be in that substance of abuse program. I've been in it eight times a month, twenty-seven months. You have a PO, they're going to track you. Uh, it's just that's not something that Zeke would want. But he did say I'm faded, and I would assume an old white who writes at Sports Illustrated was like faded. Let me Google that real quick. Tiger sang a song about this. Tiger's smoking weed while he sang this. He's high. Son of a bitch is high. Let's post it. And then uh, Zeke's like, no, I was drunk. Please get off of me. And I'm allowed to be. It's the off season. Get off my dick. Yeah. Or you could say, hey, no, that's what I say when I'm very tired. I was tuckered out. I wanted to go to bed. Oh, I'm fading. Yeah. That's all you got to say. I mean, it's crazy. I guess there's nothing out there. There's no nothing. You got to create some content. So, nothing. how did this Sports Illustrated writer find out about Zeke saying this on his Twitch stream? Just on people on Twitter, maybe saw it and said something. Well, it's Ezekiel Elliott. It's Dallas Cowboys. I hope. We're, I don't want to cut you off, but I hope there are old school media members monitoring professional athletes' Twitch streams and watching like six hours straight of nothing All to day. try to get something like that. Blake Whoa. Snell. Think about Blake Snell's. I mean, every day, all day, that's happening. Just like teams are monitoring everybody's social media by fake accounts. Like, I think I had three people in the Colts front office that were following me from fake accounts, I think. Like, I, I think there was three people following me. Well, you know, um, Cliff Kingsbury, I had him on my podcast years ago when he was at Texas Tech. He told me they, they'll, it made some news, too. Like, he said they will reach out to people through, like, burner Twitter accounts posing as girls trying to make them see if they'll make bad, bad decisions jeez i get now very that some would say that's entrapment but <laughs> i don't know if that's exactly what he said but he's definitely said they use online they, they'll like they'll use accounts to check on players i don't know if he's but it was something with females you know uh, i get they what he's trying they to do them up. it wasn't a sting operation they weren't trying to say hey i'm an escort pay me four hundred dollars <laughs> no but i get what come. he's trying to do though right because you, you could probably, I assume, especially in these DMs these days, with the access and the ability that people have to whoever, I assume there's some pretty savage things being said in the DMs by people. I guess that is a way to find out whether or not your players are acting how you would hope that they would act in the like DMs. Like maybe they're just being respectful to women. You want yeah, them to make exactly. sure they're respectful interactions. So say, like, hey, you can't say this to these people. Just for the dudes out there, by the way, that bear waving hello good you're right good to down. go 
Good gift. I got a chance Good to do it with gift. my friends here. Uh, one summer, I was single. Uh, they were single, but I would not get on any of these dating apps. I refused to do it, but some of my friends were, and I enjoyed playing the game, you know, for them. Like, okay, here we go. This is my new face. Here we are. And boy, what I learned quickly with it, and I think I even hooked up my friends here a couple of times. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. No problem. I don't think I've ever, yeah, I have been publicly thanked. You have thanked me numerous yeah. times for it. The bear waving hello, though, is the go-to. It just, just a, like if if Sam and I, if my current fiance and I both swiped right on each other and I sent that bear hello, we would have been engaged probably as soon as that day. <laughs> Just a little heads up. So, But I assume there's some idiots out there. There always will be, always is. Yeah, I mean, there are, of course. You can't even really call them idiots. I mean, they're young. A lot of them, especially in college, are you kidding me? You think they're thinking 10, 20 years down the road? I just got a text from Mike Greenberg. Greeny. Greeny. Say, give me say? a call. Say, give me a call when you get a chance, bub. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Does I'll that make you nervous? Uh-uh. No. It's Greeny. 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 He's in, how many Hall of Fames is he in? He's in two Hall of Fames. <laughs> that guy, he is a maestro. Watching him operate, that might have been the most beneficial thing for me this past fall. Game day, electric. Very lucky to be there. Uh, I got a chance to see the, that was really cool. show that I watched, obviously, that was awesome. The Thursday night games that we got to call, cool. Couldn't have replay or really look at the thing. So definitely a cool thing to call games, but it wasn't an ideal, you know, it was cool though. It was cool to learn the game. Watching Mike Greenberg work every Monday morning starting at about 6 a.m., that was something I don't think that you could ever put a price on. Like I think watching him handle the setup of the show, the day-to-day, what he wants to do, what he wants to get accomplished, the conversation, watching him work was something that I will, you can never pay for, and I'm very, very, very lucky to be there. The question was, I was asked one time, if you want to come to the pre-show meeting, you can come to the pre-show meeting or whatever. I'm like, I would like to come to the fucking pre-show meeting. 6 a.m., right? So you come to the pre-show meeting, and then you start realizing, like, this is where a lot of people are getting their stats from, and there's a guy named Hembo there that would take care of me in beautiful fashion, and Allie, and uh, I should know the other guy's name. I forget. The whole crew over there is really good people, but watching Greeny kind of work and figure out what needs to be talked about, what what should be kind of placed priority, and then how he handles the conversations and the flow of everything. And then I got asked if I wanted to go to a post-show meeting. I was like, oh, I would love to go to a post-show meeting. It was just like a university almost with that Greeny. I have nothing but the utmost respect for Mike Greenberg. So what was, I don't, what was that post show meeting like? Like, what would you, would you go over? What went right and what went wrong in that a, show? Yeah, it was a wrap up show. That's right, that should happen more often. That doesn't happen many places. Well, I assume that's why get because you got to remember, get up at one point was in a bad spot. Like that show oh, was they revamped everything. I feel like other than Greenberg. Well, and I think they built that entire Pier Seventeen for that show. Yeah, right? they like, spent a, they dumped a ton of money into it, and they, they the problem was they promoted it for like a year. And then all of a sudden it came out and people were like, well, what is it? It's it's grown into what it is now, which is a good show. But it was weird, like how they they like overpromised early on, I feel like. And I think Greeny, I, I think he sensed that, you know, that it kind of underdelivered and they did like it was I, I don't know if it was he never told me this, so I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think it was his idea too. Like the show was his idea. So I feel like he almost put that on his back, like with everything he's accomplished. Like I think get up in his eyes was like, okay, this is gonna be what people remember most because so he put that show on his back basically and watching them operate is just it was something that i could never pay for it was i was very lucky to be there and do that so anytime i get a text from him i always assume he's going to try to either make me better tell me something i did wrong 
or be like, hey, I need you potentially to do this. And I'm all in. I love the greenie, man. He's always wearing Louboutin shoes, too. Like, his shoes are always got red. I mean, his shoe, he is always just, he's the man. Greeny is the man. There's one of the guys that's out there that you should be like, good dude, happy he's a good guy. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been doing it forever. That's his show. So, of course, he takes a bunch of ownership in that. He takes pride in it. But did uh, isn't he going to do some radio now on ESPN for like three hours a day? He's going to add that to his schedule? Yeah, I guess they're adding radio on to his contract or whatever, which maybe is Does what he, he – added money? Uh, <laughs> I don't ever want to say the things that Greeny, <laughs> Greeny has said privately, but Greeny has so much swagger, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it is – in like this, I don't want to say nerdy, but kind of nerdy swag that he has is just unbelievable. A couple of things, a couple of things that just slip out that I don't think he knows is like a massive flex is just like a super flex. And I just, I think I'm the first person that's ever just like died laughing at the things that he says. And just be like <laughs> savage, absolutely savage. Well, Pat, I, I was a part of a show that generated a half a billion dollars in revenue or something like that like that came up in a conversation and i just started dying laughing i was like that is a fucking hilarious line so i'm not 100 sure he's at the point where he's worried about the financials of it all but i would assume if they're going to add him to a radio lineup that he's going to have they're going to have to pay him for that because that's just kind of how it goes but an extra three hours on top of that two-hour get-up show which has become just his show by the way he had co-host, had co-host through his quarantine. It has become just him with a different panel. So he's directing and guiding for two hours. Then he's going to do another three hours. That's five hours a day. Creamy. Well, and what time does he get there for the pre-show stuff? 6 a.m. So, I mean, that's no, another two he on gets there top at four. of. No, he gets there at six. I saw him. Okay. Well, I know. I beat him in a couple of weeks. <laughs> he First one in, to... last one to leave, right? That's you. No, I got out of there quickly because I had to go do my show somewhere else. <laughs> but. You know, if I got asked to do it in the post-show uh, thing, I stopped. Well, what are they doing, though? They're they're revamping everything. I feel like Keyshawn Johnson is going to ESPN to do radio. What, is he doing no. the Golik and Wingo slot? Or NFL Live is going to be a really good show, I think. NFL Live, Laura Rutledge is hosting. Swagoo is on there, Marcus Spears. Dan Orlovsky, Keyshawn Johnson, and Mina Kimes. The TV show. Yeah, the NFL Live show, I think, is going to be a very good show. Like that Who seems does like it a, now? Huh? Who does NFL Live now? Who Great question. Before? Nobody knows the answer. I think that's why they are moving to a, a new crew or whatever. Eshawn's doing radio there too now. Yeah, they're revamping the radio lineup from what I've been told. We had discussions for a little bit on whether or not I would go to ESPN radio. Uh, those discussions stopped because of how much I enjoy the non-FCC fucking life. Like the, the radio is such a hard like i don't want to commit to that long term because i would like to be i think long form conversations i think the authenticity of conversations is much more on the rise as opposed to the fcc regulated conversations so for me it was hard for me to be like yeah i'll do that we had conversations i think they were interested i was interested but it never really blossomed anything but i do know that they're trying to revamp the entire espn radio thing and I think if Greeny's a part of it, they're probably going to do so because that son of a bitch is good. Yeah, well, Will Kane left. Is he taking Will Kane's spot? I mean, I don't know why I'm getting into so much detail on this. I don't know why I even know so much about it, but I know Will Kane, where did he, he's going to be a, a political analyst or something. Fox and Friends, yeah. Yeah, he's heading weekends, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Fox and Friends weekends on Fox News, and he said he'll also be doing sports talk. I'm not sure how or when or if he'll have a podcast or whatever, but oh. that's a whole new world now. You get into that politics world, Ooh. hey, that shit is a buzzsaw. Uh, both sides, by the way. If you get in that, you automatically 
have 50% of people that hate your guts through and through, let alone the people that are going to hate you regardless, right? So so not let's add them in there. So probably 70 to 75% of the people on earth will hate you if you get into the politics game. But then you're like, yeah, but I'm changing the world maybe. Probably not. <laughs> but I think Will Kane will be very... I, I think Will Kane is good at what he does. Like, I think Will Kane is good at what Will Kane does. I've always thought that. I watch a show, I'm like, this is a very Will Kane show. This is a very Will Kane take. This is exactly what it is. And he's a handsome son of a bitch. I mean, let's not get that. Let's not get that misconstrued. I want to like. I want to know how much some of these these analysts get paid to be like a. If you're a what a paid consultant or a paid uh, commentator, where you you come on, like say something happens, and you're an ex-military guy, and oh, Fox yeah. News brings you on once or twice a week, maybe to hit on something like a terrorist attack that happened. Those guys get paid pretty good money. Yeah, I don't know. Anytime you get in that politics world, I would assume that the price tag goes up strictly because you know, of your life, <laughs> your happiness like that. I, I would assume that that number the has dream to, is to The dream for those people is to get their own show. Like, I think I saw something like Brett Bear. I think he makes more than 10 million a year or something on a show. Like people that have their own show on a big network like that, a political show, like they get paid cash. Hannity, I know he makes a ton of money too. He does radio as well, I believe. Yeah, we got to remember to get those shows. You got to be like Rachel Maddow is a Rhodes Scholar. Like th- yeah. those shows, I believe those, Hannity's been doing it for what, ever. I think I think he's been doing it forever, but boy, what do you got to have security everywhere you go, right? Oh yeah, oh, both yeah. sides. You got to have security everywhere you go, because you got lunatics on both sides that are ready to kill you at any yep. time. I mean, that's that is an aggressive decision to go do. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, it depends. I guess who you are. I'm sure like Bill O'Reilly would need security. I don't know where he's at now. Well. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I do believe that Bill O'Reilly made some terrible choices back in the day. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I try, I try to watch when something pops off in the political world, which seems to be every fucking day now at this point. Everything's I, breaking news. That's what makes no sense. Now, if you ever, if you turn on any news channel, it says breaking news for everything, and then they'll have like, they'll play like a little little music bed. Breaking news. I'm like, you can't have breaking news 38 times a day. Doesn't and by the way, that. Twitter. Twitter already broke this news. Yeah, so old news. Three hours ago. I want to let you know, this isn't just breaking news. This is actually old news that we're telling for the first time. Both sides. But anytime something pops off, man, it's awesome to watch MSNBC and CNN and then just flip right over to Fox News and just be like, are we living in the same planet? I don't think so. I, I don't know how either of these two people will ever coexist with each other. And that's awesome. And then I kind of get out of it, and I go back to my dumb little sports world. I'm like, okay, fun time to be alive. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if I'm getting that. Don't apology. you think at times those uh, those political people are probably somewhat not jealous, but envious of sports commentators that can just talk about sports and don't sometimes don't have to get into like, hey, well, okay, my opinion on this thing may swing like uh, I could be canceled instantly depending on how I feel about a certain situation. Well, I, I would assume that they see the people like me. And they go, that idiot is making money in the profession that I choose. Yeah. And what does he do? Nothing. I would assume there's some, because if I was in their position, I would assume I'd be like, these two idiots on the internet are making a living doing what I'm doing. Now, granted, I'm not 100% sure of that. The money is, I'm not 100%. They probably hate us. Yeah, I would assume that they absolutely hate us. And Will Kane would be the first guy in a long time. I guess Malcolm Jenkins, right? He just signs oh, up yeah. with CNN. Mm-hmm. I guess be they'll, be, they'll be able to tell us 
what it's like over there, right? Because that's they'll be able to be like, yeah, you should stay in the sports world, or hey, it's not as bad over there. Actually, death threats aren't as bad. That's what I always think about the politics world. It's like I enjoy my life so much. Like I enjoy being liked by people. I like people. Like I enjoy having conversations with people on the side of the road. Like I'm cool with people. Like I enjoy that. Like I enjoy the human interaction of people being like, hey, I appreciate whatever stupidity you do because it helps. Like I enjoy that. I don't care where you're from, what you do, all that shit. As soon as you get into the politics world, it's like, fuck you. You're the worst human of all time. You want to fucking do what? And then the other people are like, oh, that's the best person of all time, but fuck this person. It's just like, I don't know if I'm built for that. I am not. I don't think I am built for that. It's just on the street. Some person coming up to me, like, fuck you. It's like, what did I do? (laughs) What did I do to you? Oh, you said Cam Newton's going to make the Patriots better. For, like, that's not happening. You know, like, that is not happening. And I'm, I'm 100% cool with that. But I do believe those people make a lot of money. But that's a classic, like, you got to sell your happiness then. Mm-hmm. And there's only, there's so few of them making the, the, the big money, too. Like, there's how many are still are working every day, on, uh, working for a show, assisting, or they have a show, but it's at 10 a.m. and it's not primetime that aren't making uh, a fraction of what the big guys make. All I'm trying to do is get through this life, say stupid things into a microphone, make people happy, move to an island. That's all I'm trying to do. Those politics people, I think whenever they get on the TV, they're trying to save the world. They're trying to push their agenda. They're trying to get into politics themselves. They're trying to be president or maybe, like I, that's a whole different, they just have a completely, like Will Kane. I wonder if Will Kane knows that. Like. I would assume Will Kane does know that, that that's yeah. why he's getting into that world. He better. <laughs> but you have to have, like, a, like I want to, I don't know. That seems like an aggressive decision. And maybe Will I'm just Kane too probably just, He probably wants more freedom to talk about things that he's interested in. I know ESPN's gone through spurts where they don't want people talking any kind of politics. And by the way, I don't think they should, just for future. Either way, I, yeah. I just, because that's like me giving people advice on what they should do, like, you are not coming to me to hear what I think you should do with voting for the real world or anything like that. I don't fucking know, dude. Don't, I don't fucking know, dude. And people don't expect you to have a take on every single issue too. That's the good thing. Like you don't well, have to, like there's things you don't have an opinion on or you don't like, I'm like, I don't have a, a form, a fully formed opinion on this. I can't let you know right now. I do believe though. There's a couple of debates that I have watched where I could walk up there in my jorts and sleeveless hoodie and win them. I believe it. There's been some debate. The Indiana governor debate that happened just a couple years ago that I watched, I almost broke in and just stood on the stage and said, fuck it, I'll run. Here we go. What are we doing? What was wrong? Like, what was wrong with it? Oh, it's just one idiot after another. It's like, that's, how can you say something dumber? I don't know. Let's wait for the next person. Oh, there it is. Got dumber. Let's wait for the next one. It's just, I, I, I don't know. It feels like it's robots, but they're signing up to get in that world that I would never do. So I guess that takes some sort of talent, I guess. Yeah. Uh, some kind of ambition that I guess I don't have. Well, is that the show? Nope. I got to read something. Yeah. Guess who's Canada back? Dip. Back, back again. again. Canadips is back. Oh, tell a friend. Guess who's back? 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 Yeah, everybody has that friend that's over there spitting all the time, putting that tobacco in their face. Everybody's got it. Look, here's a guy right there just did it. Look at that, spitting in bottles, spitting in cups, flipping their fingers off the tin. You know, all those. There is an alternative 
That makes your body feel better. That tastes better. It won't have any of the terrible shit that tobacco has that you can put in your lip right now in pouch fashion in a variety of flavors that you will love forever. And that's from our friends at Canadips. Yeah. yeah. Woo-hoo. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. We just launched the cannabis strain flavor straight from the hills of Humboldt County. Go on to CanadipsCBD.com and buy the new Skittles drain tins. Skittles spelled with a Z. Skittles strain tins. Straight dip from Canadip CBD isn't tobacco flavored, but tastes like actual pot strains. Here we go. Canadips will launch a new strain every two to three weeks. Unbelievable flavor. Can't wait for the OG Kush to be released next week. I can't. Um, The Humboldt Collection is something that is absolutely beautiful. Cannabis flavored dip. How they do it. Flavored with terpenes. What are those? Nobody knows, but it tastes delicious and it works as a beautiful alternative for your tobacco spitting and chewing friends 2020 we no longer dance around with tobacco and carcinogens and nicotine and all that bullshit there's alternatives and the best one that this office has found is the canadip cbd cbd infused pouches and now the skittle straight tins in the cannabis flavors straight from the hills of humboldt county which is where all the ganja came from for a long time in california yep shout out to canadips they are very good that's pat 15 at canadipscbd.com for 15 percent off site wide that's pat 15 not mcafee or hawk pat 15 at canadipscbd.com for 15 percent off site wide the boys love it you mm-hmm. will too i've never been a big chewer but i put a couple of these in this weekend while we're on our little trip ski not bad to chew taste spit and body feel better with a little bit of cbd in it do you have to spit with it you can swallow if you want i spit just strictly because it's the only reason why i put it in was to yeah what if you mixed can of dips with actual dip don't do it to wean yourself off of dip like no, i'm thinking no, of, of tie no, back don't need to do it don't have to nope this one is such a good replacement you don't have to wean yourself off anything it's perfect hey, what are you trying to do i quit cold good. turkey don't even need the yeah, old look stuff at that. anymore <laughs> ty wow. schmidt quit cold turk dog this isn't like a shrimp allergy it's it's called a read guys i'm i'm setting you up oh i know how candidates works believe me i know like i it's good. It you works. Canada, I talk to the CBD? people up there, the execs. Yep, it's ready. it's ready. Ty, how old were you when you had your first dip? Fifteen, maybe. Okay. Really? Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, Iowa. <laughs> Got ha- need to have it mowing the lawn. Need to. <laughs> Not anymore. Not, Not anymore. Canada Not CBD. Anymore. I was sixteen. Jesus. At, at Rudy Subs. Oh. oh. My, oh, yeah. my part of time. Yeah, yeah. Come on, dude. Thought about puking in the bathroom. Didn't, though. I tried tobacco on three different occasions. They were all at training camp. They were all with offensive linemen. And I was told each time that it wouldn't make me feel too terrible. And I puked all three times. <laughs> yep. That's why I'm not going to try it. Don't try tobacco, but do try Canadip CBD. CanadipCBD.com, Pat15, 15% off site-wide. Uh, AJ, any final thoughts before we get the hell out of here? No, I think I'm good, but I did see something. Uh, some Pelicans players, I believe, uh-huh. tested positive. It's breaking news. Uh-huh. 
yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll see how this all plays yes. out, man. I think the NBA is testing everybody right now so they can get that 14-day quarantine before they go into the Dome. I think we're going to learn more uh, and more NBA players test positive. And now, granted, players are going to have to make their own decisions for their health and safety with all the guidelines, blah, 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 blah. But I think we're going to learn more and more and more players are going to have it here in the next couple of weeks so yeah. that they can get that lockdown out of the, the NBA is probably trying to get that lockdown out of the way before you go into Biodome with Pauly Shore in Orlando. Yeah, is hockey going to happen though? I, I know Nick might know, but didn't the uh, what the Lightning had to shut down all of their facilities? Yeah, they did, but uh, no major alert like it's kind of been in the NBA. You're not hearing as much drama as there is going. Since on. we're at the end of the show, so if we get shadow banned or whatever, it doesn't matter. Tampa Bay Lightning owner, best friends of Bill Gates. Bill Gates owns all the vaccines, basically. So he was shutting it down before there's potential vaccine. That's the end of the show. Let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> the greatest sports talk show on the internet from one to two Eastern Standard Time. So come on down for a mental vacation with the boys on YouTube Live. It's McAfee and Hulk It's McAfee and Hulk Sports Talk AJ used to tackle quarterbacks And he's a rust belt kind of guy That's the butter of the thicket for the 2010 Kicking piss missiles to the sky It's McAfee and Hulk It's McAfee and Hulk Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man who's famous for his golf game. His outfits are electric, a nice flat bill, and a mustache. And this weekend, you can watch him at the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit, raising money for all of Detroit and internet. Ladies and gentlemen, Ricky Fowler. How's it going, Ricky? <laughs> all good. Just, uh... Hanging here at the course, gonna go get some work in shortly. Well, yeah, so you got a practice round day, is that what's going on here? Yeah, I played 18 yesterday, and uh, today I'll probably hit some balls and uh, go play nine, keep it keep it fairly mellow, because I gotta play tomorrow morning pretty early. Okay, so let's talk about these practice rounds, I've never really seen them. Are you out there in shorts, is there music playing? Is it what, like, what is the practice, or is this like a very serious, like we gotta learn the course here, we're gonna do this if we do this, like what is the practice round like on Wednesdays? Pretty mellow. Uh, typically a Wednesday would be our pro-am day, but uh, obviously with everything going on, uh, just players out here, so pretty relaxed. Every once in a while I'll have my, uh, my phone playing some music in my back pocket, um, some guys may be a little bit more serious, especially if it's a golf course they haven't been to yet. Um, but myself being here last year, I know the golf course pretty well, just kind of uh, reacquainting myself. Uh, other than that, I try and keep it pretty relaxed early in the week, rest up and uh, get ready to tee up on well, Thursday being tomorrow. What are you... What are you listening to in the back pocket? I'm excited. You know what I play? I'll, I'll go everything from hip-hop, barbecue, radio on Pandora, which is a nice mix of nostalgia. Every once in a while, the big timers will come on. Then you got old school, old school, juvenile. And then I'll go Zach Brown band as well if I want to get it, depending on what mood. I'm. What is in your back pocket while you're playing in these rounds? Uh, my standard go-to, a uh, couple DJs that I know, Kygo and Griffin. Oh, you get uh, after it out there. You're like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. They're not too crazy. They're pretty. They're fairly mellow uh, compared to what you might see uh, uh, at night in a club. But um, Kygo's got a great new album out that I've enjoyed listening to. But 
being in Detroit, another buddy of mine, sometimes I'll throw on there, uh, whether it's Pandora or, or somewhere else, but Kid Rock. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. The old adage is that you were this adrenaline junkie who was a dirt biker and you got into all this other stuff, and then you self-taught – uh, we're self-taught, you get it, uh, how to golf, and then now you're in the PGA. Like, how does that happen? Like, how do you go from being dirt biker, which seems to be the polar opposite, adrenaline junkie, polar opposite of what golf is? How did you fall in love with the game and get to this point? Uh, well, so I, I started playing and riding basically at the same time. Um, golf was always my number one, but... Um, Man, I, w I wish I could still get on a dirt bike and go have some fun. Um, I basically rode up until I was about 15. Um, I broke my foot and uh, didn't tear anything in my knee, but basically blew it up. So that was a kind of a wake-up call. If I want to go after and pursue golf, that the dirt bikes may have to take a seat for a bit. So um, it was a big part of who I am as far as, like you said, it's you got to have you can't think a whole lot on a bike. And uh, when I'm playing my best golf, there's uh, there's not much thinking involved. It's kind of go with what you're feeling, see it, and hit it. So those are those are the good days. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen all the time. Cool. <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it. I got this club. It's called the Unduffable. I bought it off the golf channel about 3 a.m. whenever they said it was available. It turns out the son of a bitch does duff all the time. <laughs> but golfing is a lot like kicking and punting. Right, so it, it, kicking and punting, obviously you're doing it uh, hopefully under 72 times a day. For us, it's only like five, six times. But once you start overthinking things, you get so messed up. It happens to the best of us. It happens to everybody. What do you do whenever you get in those situations where you're like overthinking, a little paralysis by overanalysis type situation? Uh, for me, I think it's always going back to if you have kind of one swing thought, one or two. Um, for me, I can get away with two as far as – Oh, we got we got Jason Day pulling up over here. Hey, pal, good luck out there. I hope you come in second this weekend. Exactly. Yeah, that was for you, Ricky. I think a big thing is is keeping swing thoughts down to a minimum, and then kind of having a fallback if something is going wrong. What's that? What's that one cue that can kind of get you through the day to minimize what could happen? I stink at golf, but I'll have a good round every once in a while. You're like, I will have a good, like, for instance, I just shot a 38 on nine holes uh, on Saturday at, in Michigan, and I felt like I was on top of the world. And I could go shoot 100 tomorrow. At what point in your life were you shooting where you're like, you know what, I'm probably going to be a professional golfer? Did you, did you have that, like, aha moment where you're like, I seem to be better than everybody else? Uh, well, it was always a dream of mine, but, um, you know, having a dream as a little kid, that doesn't always uh, work out, but, I mean, put the work in, put the time in, and, and keep kind of shooting for that, there's a better chance of it. But for me, I think when I really knew, um, the, actually the first PGA Tour event I got to play in as an amateur uh, was in 2008 at Hilton Head. And I didn't play that well. I, I think I missed the cup by two shots. And I was like, I, I can play out here. I know I can do this. So that was kind of the validation of when I really knew. Um, there were times before that where I knew I could play good golf, but uh, at that point, I got to go and actually play with the guys that I'd be competing with in the future. The younger generation of golfers has been very important to the game of golf. 
right? I mean, Tiger and Phil, that magical run. It, it was just next level. And then everybody was like, well, what's going to happen to golf when Tiger's done? And now, granted, they're still playing and still bringing ratings, but that next generation of golf was a big deal. You, Spieth, uh, your little golf rap group you guys had there for a little <laughs> bit, that whole crew, it seems like you guys are really tight, too. Is that is that a fair assessment whenever I'm talking about the younger group of golfers? It feels like you guys are a lot closer than most competitors would be. Yeah, you could definitely say that because it, it wasn't like, uh, you know, through the, the prime of Tiger and Phil's careers that they were hanging out. Um, and nothing against that. Uh, I'm just, I'm someone that enjoys being around at, from growing up, playing with my buddies uh, through high school, through college. I always felt like what made me better is playing against guys that were as good or better and just pushing each other um, and continuing to, to, in a way, help each other out and it's, it's more fun when you get to beat your buddies, um, in my opinion. <laughs> then you, get, you get some bragging rights on them. Um, but it is, it is different. Um, you know, like I said, you didn't see Phil and Tiger necessarily hanging out. Um, but I, w- I got to give credit to Phil to, for him to have the career he had and is still having um, throughout Tiger's prime. Um, the amount of wins, uh, the amount of top finishes, that's pretty impressive to, to do it in the same time as, you know, probably the, the greatest player we've seen in the game now you and phil by the way we'll jot that down ricky fowler says tiger Woods greatest golfer of all time. <laughs> okay so you and phil mickelson it is alleged you guys played a lot of rounds together back in the day i don't know if that's still happening or not but what do you learn from a guy like phil mickelson and how awesome was the gambling you guys <laughs> uh yeah we, we would play uh a lot of times phil and i'd be on the same team nice smart um, there were a lot of times we played tuesday matches like two on two best ball I thought it was a great way to get ready for a tournament, see where you're at. Um, so that was that was one thing that um, has definitely helped me. But also his uh, time management and just he's obviously been out here, you know, a handful of years before uh, me. And just learning from him on how he dealt with day to day, weekly situations, uh, sponsor obligations, uh, and, and just how to learn to manage that properly. Um, everyone's different. So, I mean, I don't do things exactly how Phil does, but I learned a lot from him on the management side. You guys are like NASCAR racers. I mean, it's, <laughs> it is, it, I mean, the big guys have like one or two, you Puma, everybody knows you're with Puma. Also your relationship with rock and mortgage has been a, a smashing success, but that whole managing the sponsorships and their expectations, I would assume that is a bit tasking just in a little bit that we have to do with the, with businesses and their expectations. I, I would assume that is a real thing that has to be monitored for you guys in your week to week. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I typically play about 25 events a year. Um, that'll be a little different this year with our little layoff. But outside of that, I probably have, depending on the year, but uh, 25 work days as far as whether they're shoots, uh, still or commercial, uh, playing a handful of programs outside of that for, for other players that have their program for their foundation. So um, it, it's cool to be able to have those opportunities, to have the partnerships. Um, there's some time that is involved with it. But uh, to, to have it, you know, to be a part of Rocket Mortgage and to see what they're doing in Detroit, it's something that's fun to hop behind. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell, Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. How's it been golfing in front of nobody? Like, is it just, is it any? Quiet. Yeah. Um, yeah, the fans bring the energy. And um, it, is, it is very different. Um, yeah, I, I definitely enjoy it more with fans because the energy is there. Uh, you know, getting contention on the weekend. 
it's a different feeling. But um, yeah, we don't have that yet because it's uh, it's definitely quiet out here. Well, there's a, a pandemic, Ricky. People <laughs> there's this virus going on. <laughs> I've heard of it. <laughs> it has been rather large. Go ahead, Ricky. It was reported or it came out that that you were the only person on tour who was going to wear a mic or was willing to wear a mic. Did other players on tour oh, give yeah. you any any crap for that? No, I didn't. I didn't get any backlash for it. Um, I I think I think there's there's definitely more guys that are up for it. Um, I don't know if they asked the whole field. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. I think they they went through a handful of guys. Um, I was I was up to do it, especially since we just about a month before that played uh, the TaylorMade Drive and Relief match with Rory, DJ, and Wolf, and we were all mic'd up there. So um, just figured, why not? Um, unfortunately, didn't play very well. Would have been would have been a little better if I played nice. <laughs> Is that the reason why you played bad? Because you were mic'd up? Ooh. No, mm. I can't blame Ooh. it on that. <laughs> Ooh, I will. I, I, w- I wish I could, but that's on me. All right, uh, we can't thank you enough for your time. Are you going to win this weekend? Yeah, let's win one. Let's win one. That's why week. I'm here. Yeah. 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 Let's make Detroit better with Rocket Mortgage. Let's go win to Rocket Mortgage Classic, and let's continue to have the most electric mustache in the golf game, ladies and gentlemen. Big big golf show with our friend Ricky Fowler. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ricky. Yeah. Can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show. I know that there's a lot of things that can penetrate your ears. The fact that you allow us to do so, I am very thankful. Gerbil in a mug contest will be decided today by Zito. By the way, Zito is the one that handles almost all of those contests. So if you don't win, blame him. But he has a very difficult job. A lot of people listen all the way to the end of the show, and I'm very thankful for you guys. Hey, end of the pod crew here. Next show, I'm going to give a discount strictly for the end of the podcast crew at store.patmacroshow.com. Currently 15% off all flags. We got flags of all colors currently 15% off at the store. But tomorrow's show, I'm going to have CFO Phil put in a promo code strictly for the people that listen all the way to the end of the podcast because y'all motherfuckers are the best. And I can't thank you enough. We'll be back manana. Have a good one. Ty Schmidt, please play some independent music.